situation we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network, the world for people who think. Hi, and welcome to Behind the Headlines on the South Radio Network. I'm Joe Quinn, and my co-hosts this week, as usual, are Neil Bradley. Hello. Harrison Keeley. Hi. And Alan Martin. Hi, everyone. This is going to be our last show of 2017, um, because luckily, or unluckily, depending on how you view it, uh, next Sunday is Christmas Eve, and the following Sunday is New Year's Eve. So we presume... Yeah, a round of applause for New Year's Eve and Christmas Eve. Uh, so we presume everybody will be out, uh, you know, will be too drunk, basically, uh, to listen to the show, because we know that's the kind of uh, people you are that listen to the show. You're all a bunch of louts. Uh, no, that's not the reason, obviously. The reason is that it's, you know, the holiday season and people will be doing things, so we don't see, unless there's some significant event that occurs that we feel we need to, to talk about urgently. Uh, let's hope that doesn't happen. We could do a, a peaceful Christmas, at least for a couple of weeks. Um, Without us badging you about with things like facts and... Yes. Reality. Details and stuff, you know... Uh, Exactly. So, uh, as a result, we're the, the today's show is about, we're going to look back at 2017, uh, the year in review, and we've titled it The Great Unveiling, because arguably a lot of stuff has come to light um, this year. Of course, it's been an ongoing process over uh, over many years since we've been doing this show and since we've been running the websites, but uh, this year in particular, with everything that happened, uh, a lot of it centered on Trump, I suppose, as the unusual aspect of this year compared to previous years um but maybe it's actually one at huh one after trump okay so yeah we could be in a new era yeah one at yeah but so we'll be just uh, we'll be reviewing uh the events that the major events that happened this year to remind you all what a fantastic year it was and to also uh just talk about uh the significance of 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 the some of those major events and uh what they mean, and maybe we'll do a bit of crystal ball gazing. Look into the future, it's always a dodgy thing to do, but uh, very suspect, but uh, we, we do dodgy things now and again, so that's what we'll be talking about. So, and also, uh, if any of you have any questions, this now would be this show would be a good time to uh, um, call in and ask them, or, or any comments, of course, on anything that happened this year um, that you think we missed, or uh, was an important point that you want to bring up. Feel free to call in at any time just by clicking the button on the show page. Um, so, yeah. The thing I remember first this year is, I think it was Trump's first press conference as mm-hmm. Prez, mm-hmm. but he had not been inaugurated yet, so there was that transition gap. And who can forget it? It was the one where he called out the CNN reporter, Acosta, I think, 
and said, no, no question for me. You are fake news, <laughs> which pretty much set the tone for the entire year. Right. Yeah. That did, did, um, that, that has really, that, that really did define. I'm not sure if that was part of his plan, but certainly, um, there's been a lot of molds broken, I suppose, this year with, with Trump, um, in terms of just how uh, a U.S. presidency uh, comports itself and how the president acts towards, you know, the country, the world, the media, etc. Trump, uh, he's lived up to expectations uh, of not my president, hashtag not my president, um, because he certainly is not, he's unlike I'd say he's unlike pretty much every other pre- U.S. president. I mean, within living memory, uh, he's unlike any other president. Uh, he's not an insider. He he's not a Washington. He's not a politician. He's not a Washington insider. And uh, well, what did you expect? Um, but the people elected him, and that's what democracy is all about. And this is part of the uh, uh, something that has been unveiled, I suppose, uh, in the process is just how tenuous or uh, conditional democracy <laughs> democracy really is. Uh, we're America's democracy as long as uh, we will accept the will of the people in, in a presidential election or the, uh, the winner as long as, you know. And, I mean, it's not just people complaining about him, obviously. People have, many people have been calling for his um, uh, his removal, that he's unfit to be president simply because of who he is, uh, even though a majority of the American population, the voting population, voted for him. And many people throughout the year, uh, over the course of the year, several people, notably professors for some reason in universities, have called for him to be uh, executed. Um, there, are, there, there's a there's a there's a list of four or five five I think uh, university professors across uh, across the U.S. who called for him um, to be executed, and also for Republicans. Uh, in general, to be to be killed. I think one professor said that you could kill one, uh, kill two two Republican politicians for every refugee that was refused entry into America. I see. These are the ones who are experts on human rights and yeah, due process. Right. right. Well, yeah. Well, the whole problem here is it all goes out the window. You know, you're <laughs> it, it, Trump's presidency has just thrown all sorts of uh, you know formally accepted. Uh, ways of, of acting and thinking and talking, just throwing it all out the window. And people, to a certain extent, have shown, a lot of people have shown their true colors. And there are a lot of things that have, maybe are not directly, but almost directly connected to the Trump presidency that have also uh, served to um, expose uh, people's true true colors and what they really think. Uh, and apparently this is what they always thought. Um, but, and it's always been there, but... Um, yeah. But, but now Trump gave them. Trump is like a lightning rod, basically, for a lot of stuff that was under, under, behind the scenes, uh, to 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 come out. You know, but the most revealing thing to me is the contempt it's revealed for probably a, the largest mass of American people, most people, by the elite slash a larger, another smaller but still significant sex, section of the population. That contempt has been present all year. They don't really compute in their minds that when they're attacking Trump or rather, I think they do like you, like you mentioned, specifically it's, people attack anyone who votes Trump is such and such and should be killed. Right. Well, um, well, and they have no compunction with saying that 
Mm-hmm. They thereby revealing their their real contempt for yeah it's for people it's very crass and not very highbrow and it's not a very evolved democracy you know don't they don't they call those uh not what they say Western democracies are are that they're they're advanced democracies and yeah, yeah. and they're not very advanced at all uh, when when it comes down to it you know um, the kind of things people have been saying and, uh, and and their disregard their contempt as you're saying for uh, for for Trump for the presidency for you know I mean Hillary Clinton came out and she kind of set the tone I suppose but although probably a lot of people agreed with her beforehand where she called uh, all Trump supporters uh, a basket of deplorables right in the campaign so, I mean yeah. really in a democracy one the losing presidential candidate calls all of the people who voted for well, her, her opponent a majority of them obviously a majority of voters voted for him and she calls them all. I, Deplorables. I mean, I might even plausibly allow her to say such at the time because it was assumed all the polls were saying Trump uh, would lose by a landslide. What's more revealing is that after, in fact, Trump has won, they still keep up the same derogatory tone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and knowing goddamn well that most people support Trump. Yeah. That's what. That's what really. Whoa. That's just pulling back the veil there. That, large numbers of people out there who are that psychotic. Yeah, you don't. I mean, you don't do that in advanced democracy. I mean, if you lose an election and, and politics is all very polite, um, you know, you 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 kind of humbly or politely concede and, and and you go away. But I think maybe in 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 Western democracies up to Western advanced democracies up until this point, uh, the reason politicians did that, uh, losing politicians or losing candidates. Um, were able to do that was because they realised that there was an establishment, a kind of status quo, that was uh, was going to persist behind the scenes. And running for president or running for prime minister or the leader of the country was, you know, it was an opportunity. It was good, and you obviously there was even if you lost, there was a lot of benefits uh, to be accrued from simply uh, having such, you know, being seen in such a high profile for any candidate. So we're all quite happy, and they could be polite about it. They could fight with each other during the debates and stuff, and then afterwards go and have a good laugh and shake hands because they're all from the same clique, all from the same class, basically. But Trump really, you know, messed things up here by coming from a totally different class of people, essentially, despite the fact that he's, you know, a millionaire. Um, The ironic thing is, he's not a political, he's not from the political class, and that's what upset all these people. And it's almost like a visceral fear was stoked in these people simply because he wasn't from the political class, and they had no idea necessarily what he was going to do. But they knew that it probably wasn't going to be good because he was not brought up within those circles, uh, you know, the Washington elite, political elite circles, basically. He wasn't schooled in all of the protocol and uh, the way things are done. He didn't understand. He was going to come in with his own ideas. And while they had no idea exactly how that was going to play out, they knew that it was it was going to be bad because breaking with tradition in that sense, a tradition of the left, right, left, right, switcheroo of parties every few, every every four years or something, uh, was bad. The simple breaking of that tradition was fundamentally bad, no matter what he did or didn't do. And they had to have, like this guy, uh, Strzok said, the FBI guy said, they had to have an insurance policy against uh, this guy uh, doing what he may or may not have done. And they didn't take any chances. It was like, get him from the beginning. Yeah. In any event, their fears were completely overblown because what's happened right. in, in practice, Trump has compromised left, right, and center mm-hmm. on everything, abroad and in terms of domestic 
policy. And then that's the thing, you know, maybe his art of the deal is aim high and, you know, be satisfied with the middle. When it came to the, the, his great new tax law, modify things a bit. But not much. Not much change, no. change his foreign policy. Well, we saw what happened. They tied his hands. He couldn't do anything right. with respect to Russia. Mm-hmm. He played ball in terms of, you know, standing up the aggressor in Syria, blah, blah, uh, defeating ISIS in Afghanistan, blah, blah. It's business as usual, really. Mm-hmm. Actually, nothing has changed. Yeah. It, a few key things are changing, maybe. Mm. We can discuss those. But there hasn't been this great big earthquake that they're so paranoid about. But there is the continuing earthquake of the fear of a coming political earthquake that is causing a rupture anyway in mm. the society. Yeah. It, they're ungrounded, but mm-hmm. they're making real the reality they, right. they detest and don't want to happen <laughs> right. so much. Yeah. Well, that is that, that's a self-fulfilling prophecy type thing. It's, it's, uh, and it's indicative of a person who is just not in touch with reality at all, isn't thinking properly, has loads of thinking errors, and uh, is, is just making a mess of things. I mean, making a mess of your life is basically positing a false uh, reality, you know, uh, your, of your own imagination, uh, one that you know that you fear, basically something you want to avoid, and then because of your irrational fear, you go about doing the things that actually <clears throat> bring that, bring that on, bring that into mm-hmm. focus. Yeah, <clears throat> and I think what, one of the maybe one way of describing this dynamic that's being played out is that because um, Trump came, you know, from the outside essentially of of this entire system i mean he's still <clears throat> he's still what you know a lot of like let's say protest the protest mentality type people would call um you know like he's a, a millionaire right or millionaire billionaire whatever like he's a rich dude he's not you know he's not a you know working class chump right he's not like one of us and so he's still he's still kind of like you know in the upper spheres of society in a certain sense, but mm-hmm. he's not part of, of this specific, you know, political class. And what we've seen over the past decades, and, it, and it's probably played out, you know, this is probably a societal thing that plays out for generations, is that there's kind of like a, a, a mass collective delusion that surrounds, um, you know, a, a system and even a culture where there are certain, there's a certain way of doing things. There are certain kind of conventions and norms on on how you see yourself and how you present yourself. And that, that you know, I'd call it like a, a mass delusion and or, or like a, a bubble of, of um, you know, self, uh, of self-image. And when, when Trump came along, it's, it's like he, he was just, a, he's got that troll mentality and he kind of just like punched a few holes in that bubble and it, it caused like mass cognitive dissonance. Where, you know, people are like, well, what the hell is going on? Um, like, this isn't possible. Um, you know, what are we going to do? And, of course, it came back to all the things that, that you guys had said already. Like, you know, for example, the people that <clears throat> being a part of this system see it just as a continuous, you know, play-by-play thing where, you know, things change a bit, but they pretty much stay the same. Now, mm-hmm. when you bring an unknown into that equation, then it's like, oh, well, wait a second that that could change everything and you know even if the other side you know previously when the other side won you know at least i had the the security of knowing that things would generally you know keep going in the in the right direction or you know the direction that i think is the right one but this is like it's an unknown it's that uh you know that chaos the fear of the chaos that might come and so that little bubble of 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 
um, well, it's it's like a, a hysteria bubble. So when it gets popped, it's like people go nuts. And and then we and we've seen that play out, and I think that's one of the reasons that it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy, and and these people are shooting themselves in the foot, is because, um, like, like the whole image of of Russia is one example of this kind of self-delusion. It's like a, it's when you believe your own propaganda and you create this kind of false reality that that you then come to believe in, and then it's just confirmation bias from there, where you already know that like Russia is bad, for example, and so therefore any bit of evidence of Russia being bad or any hint of evidence of Russia being bad is automatically accepted as supporting the conclusion that you've already, you know, pre-established. And, mm-hmm. and when, when something comes into the mainstream that, that threatens that in a fundamental way, it's like, Oh, you know, oh my God, um, <laughs> you, you, it's, you become totally irrational. And that's what we're seeing play out is this total, loss of reason and rationality to the point where we have this whole Russiagate thing when 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 uh when you look at it it's well as we've been getting more details over the past couple of months we see just how much of it has been based on the trump uh, dossier for example that we've talked about numerous times from steel and fusion gps and the dnc and the fbi and how everything has kind of spiraled from there and now all these people as this stuff is getting revealed are left um, in this really kind of compromised position where, you know, they, they've been so serious and, um, you know, professional and exactly, you know, all the things that Hillary Clinton, you know, represented and, and that this entire political class represents this image of being the, you know, the, the competent professional, you know, ruling class kind of political mm-hmm. establishment. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, it, the, the threat is that they are all exposed as really a bunch of complete idiots who believe mm-hmm. nonsense. And this is, this is the kind of thing that, that they, that like, well, um, like people in, in positions like that would use to, to denigrate or to insult, mm-hmm. you know, like, um, um, you know, other people, countries, well, other countries, but also people in their own countries, like, like conspiracy theorists or, mm. um, just, you know, or, you know, a basket of deplorables, people who will believe mm-hmm. fake news and people who will believe all the lies that, that Trump tells. Well, they are, they're, really know better and they've believed a whole bunch of nonsense and now that mm-hmm. it's getting exposed they're like you know they're they're kind of freaking out because um all of a sudden like well this mass delusion is is really on a based on a weak foundation and it always is because you know lies are always based on a weak foundation all you have to do is point out the truth and you know if it's really the truth it's pretty easy to support that once it's known it's the truth because it's a lot mm-hmm. easier to to find you know, to, to show real evidence and how something is backed up by evidence than to prop up a lie and have to manufacture the evidence. Um, it's just, it takes a lot more effort to do that. Um, it's a lot easier to, to tell the truth and, um, and make that known. So, so we've, we've just seen example after example of, of people, these Mm -hmm. people shooting themselves in the foot, especially in the media where they'll, they'll like, uh, lap up the, the most ridiculous, you know, fake news because it fits in their um, their narrative, and then not even a day later, like hours later, it's like, oh no, guys, no, sorry, you know, you didn't get that one right. It's like you you obviously were just either lying or letting your your own bias get in the way to the point where you just made a total fool of yourself. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, well, um. Yeah, I was just talking about Russia. Yeah, the, the whole Russian Russian hysteria and people believing lies and uh, you know just showing themselves to be 
so easily fooled and such a such a feeble grasp on on reality um grim was saying on the chat room there that uh, he saw a great headline uh about russia saying uh, well it was that headline was low initial attendance of new star wars movie does russia have a hand in this um <laughs> which is you I know, hope that wasn't in the headline that's just Graham asking the question after the headline I hope it was in the headline somewhere <laughs> <laughs> it should be because somebody's going to pick up on it you know. um, well, uh, along that line though Russia was accused of hacking like the release of new episodes for, for new seasons for like Game of Thrones and yeah. other things or Rams. Yeah. They, they do do that kind of thing yeah well it was, it was actually a story just recently about a guy in California who killed his mother and um, and he in in his defence he said that uh, he was he was he said that he was hacked more or less in the sense that he was uh, programmed to do it by Russians, uh, Russians Russians used mind programming to to get him to do it. Uh, that's a real sign of the times there. How you know that was seriously hacked. his defence. It was yeah. Oh man, yeah. um, he's serious like about it. Um, so it just shows how that kind of thing can spread. That kind of delusion. Uh, it spreads down to our people. Maybe he's using it cynically, you know. Um, do we want to take a call? Yes, we've got uh, Ryan on the line. Oh, it's connecting. Well, it might take a few seconds. Okay. It's going to be changing. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe uh, maybe should maybe Ryan should uh, try and. Yeah, I'm uh, reconnecting him. Re- re- reboot. Go ahead, Alan. Well, uh, there was one term that made its way into uh, the the kind of news stream this past year, the deep state, which is something that we've read about uh, for a number of years. But I would say that uh, with with all this awareness of uh, what Trump was up against, uh, this very concept that there's a, a larger, interested, uh, deeply entrenched group of people in government and uh, and in organizations mm. peripheral to government uh, were part of uh, th- this this kind of uh, groupthink system that was going against and subverting Trump at every step. So this very term, deep state, um, I think it was in March of this year, uh, there was one or two or three weeks where the, the term was being used uh, just everywhere. Um, and well, th- there was a spate of mainstream articles around that time. Yeah. Yes. Coming together that were poo-pooing, dismissing, you know, playing it down because it was gaining such mainstream traction. Right. Uh, at the same time, everyone who voted for Trump, who had really listened to what he was saying uh, in his various campaign speeches, uh, you know, if, if there was a certain amount of cognitive dissonance Created on the part of the, you know, the Democratic body of the U.S., there was a, a, a real clicking and tuning in on the part of a whole other uh, part of the public in the U.S. Uh, that didn't see it, that that experienced something opposite to cognitive dissonance. They finally found a champion who was able to say, uh, in language they understood, uh, exactly what was wrong with the system and, and sounded um, determined to do something about it. So uh, deep state has now made its way into uh, the the common language of of U.S. media uh, discourse and in the minds of people. Yeah, <clears throat> and like you're saying, of course, we have 
uh, people who <clears throat> have researched uh, or have studied on um, you know the history of uh, well the history of, the history of the modern era, I suppose, uh, particularly in the West, uh, know very well that that they have a deep state that it's also been called a shadow government long before now by people who have written books and on those topics that expose the fact that there is a kind of parallel government in a certain sense uh, uh, going that has been around for a long time. I mean, even even books like uh, Fletcher Prouty's books, um, the JFK and the Secret Team, uh, that pretty much shows um, those books like that and many other books like that show that you know back on during JFK's time. That there were people in the government who, and particularly in the intelligence agencies, who saw themselves as uh, the stewards of the country, you know, the safeguarders of of, of the American way of life, and and they had been they were they were the the stewards of a tradition, I suppose, uh, of that had been established quite a few years beforehand of of the course that America was set on in terms of American exceptionalism and American American hegemony in the world, and. Uh, they went about the process of ensuring that America stayed on top, uh, and it, obviously, a president that comes and goes every four years is just is largely irrelevant to that, you know, or should be irrelevant to that, or is seen by them as being irrelevant to that, because you can't let some interloper come in for four years and mess things up, and if he tries to, then he's taken care of in one way or another, you know. So I mean, it's been patently obvious that that this idea of a deep state has is is, is very real. It's it's not only real in the sense of you know we've found the evidence that it exists, but even logically, it's it's it makes complete sense that there would be uh, a group of people, particularly in intelligence agencies, because of their because of the kind of uh, jobs they do, doing things uh, for the country uh, beyond any oversight, that those people would be uh, directing, particularly in terms of foreign policy, uh, but also domestically when you think about corporations and stuff. Uh, that they would be the real rulers of the country, you know. So it's yeah, it's been very, it's been good. I mean, of course, the people who get uh, the idea of the deep state as based on as a result of Trump's presidency, or you know, they're only getting the surface uh, understanding of that. They don't really realize the history to it and how it really is a uh, how America has been ruled for quite a long time and other Western advanced democracies as well, obviously. Uh, but it's better than nothing that people uh, are at least getting that little insight into. Uh, how the world really works, you know. It's not a comfortable story um, about, uh, you know, our elected officials doing the, doing the work for us type of thing. It's very different from that. And if you just use a bit of sense, of course, it's not going to be like that, you know. Uh, One way in which this, this was very clear for me, and I'm sure a lot of people noticed it too, was that after Trump, um, the myth that the U.S. president is the kind of leader of the, this empire was revealed when Trump was getting bashed by and spoken down to and shunned by world leaders when he started to go out on various trips. Obviously, he went to Saudi Arabia first, but he also went to Europe then. I remember that he had a meeting with NATO leaders in Brussels after that. And there was a whole uh, spiel made in the media about, oh, he was shunned and talked down to and his message when he gave a talk there was directly contradicted by Angela Merkel and other leaders, you know, about the importance of NATO and blah, blah, blah. That was, that was just one, one example. There were other cases, say, on climate change. So Trump says we're going to pull out of um, the Paris Accords. And uh, all this shock in the other capitals. No, you can't, you can't do that. <laughs> but it kind of 
it just put in the picture that it's not as simple as in this structure, this empire that the, the U.S. leads, the U.S. president anyway leads. It's something else. Because here you had, you would think in the kind of rough narrative, you'd think, okay, so if the U.S. president says, it's okay for all of you to go your separate independent ways, well, aren't, aren't the other leaders of the vassal states going to jump on the opportunity? No. They stepped in to fill the void and prop up the structure mm-hmm. desperately. No, 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 no. The U.S. can't leave us. We need you to for this and that and the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very revealing. And that would have been another, that would have, that would have been something, an effect of the Trump effect working on the populations of all these other countries. Mm. Put really? the fear of God in them, basically, that they'll lose their, their protector. I mean, it's real. It's 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 empire uh, on steroids in a certain sense, or empire 2.0. You know, previous empires uh, were you know controlled, had other vassal states under their under their dominion, um, and very often they had uh, problems with those vassal states that who didn't like the kind of uh, the the laws or the uh, the requirements that they they had to meet uh, passed down from. From on high from the empire, but uh, today it's like as you're saying, it's uh, it's horrible, particularly in terms of, uh, particularly Western Europe, or most of Europe, and Australia and several other countries around the world. Not all of them, obviously, but several of them who uh, are are suffering from a kind of Stockholm syndrome, where, where you know they just they we, we're no good without you, you know, we, we wouldn't be able to make it on our own, you know. Um, which is pretty pathetic, but maybe it's I don't I don't know why. Um, because they get something out of it, probably they've, they've basically sold their souls in a certain sense. Most uh, European and then those other countries have sold their souls to to the devil, uh, effectively, in terms of completely uh, abdicating any real responsibility or any sovereignty. Uh, you know, shirking off sovereignty, not not really being interested in it, and uh, paying their dues and and getting kickbacks as a result. You know, so yeah, it's sad. You know, the whole idea of uh, national sovereignty. After the two major upsets in 2016, Brexit referendum result in June in the UK and then Trump's election in November, a lot of people in the mainstream commentators were worried looking forward to 2017 because there were going to be key elections in Europe in the Netherlands, France and Germany in quick succession. Certainly uh, the Netherlands and France, which was earlier in the year. And I was looking at going, yep, there's going to be surprises or it'll follow the pattern. It'll actually be the establishment favorite will fall in those places too. That's not actually what happened, but there was still an effect. So in the Netherlands, it was first the status quo remained, but there was an overall shift rightwards with the conservative, you know, the calling for conservatism over the progressive EU mm. dream. And then France came next. And well, that surprised everyone. Because Macron still, really, I mean, well, anyway, we'll go with the official story. He won over the right. But then Merkel, Mer- Merkel quasi won in Germany. It's just, there's still no new government. Yep. They could be going into another election <clears throat> ASAP. Um, and then, of course, the UK. We're supposed to have an election this year. Mm-hmm. It's only been two years since the last one. And that was a whole a string of events was like, it's it's the same kind of, it's it's a it's a knock on effect of 2016. It is a continuation, but not one we were expecting. No one expected an election there, um, and it was a, a remarkable swing of events. I mean, the terror attacks. Yeah. First, the London Bridge in March, then Manchester bombing at the Ariana Grande event at the Arena Stadium. 
Then another little one, I think, back in London. Oh, it was a big one. It was where this truckload of guys just came out of a van and start stabbing people, slashing their throats, and I think four people were killed or something. Mm-hmm. That was brutal. And then that was on the eve of the UK snap election, mm-hmm. which was called in the expectation of giving Theresa May a solid victory mm-hmm. and therefore a solid mandate with respect to Brexit from mm-hmm. 2016. Mm-hmm. And she didn't get it. She lost big time. She lost a she lot of seats. She lost. She lost a lot, a lot of seats to Labour. Yeah, she got the opposite of what she aimed for. So she lost yeah. in terms of her, in terms of she didn't achieve the goal uh, anywhere, anywhere close to it. You know. And then another kind of non-linear effect immediately after in the UK was the Grenfell Tower disaster mm-hmm. in early June, um, in which, I mean, they're still saying it's like 70, 80 people were burned alive, but. Mm-hmm. Ah, that's dodgy. They've, they're, it's still a crime scene investigator, and they officially only took out the, lar- the last few bones two weeks ago. Mm, weird. Um, and they've told us in recent reports it's going to remain a closed crime scene for like the next year. Well, there's something dodgy going on there, but everyone knew that at the time it's a stank of a cover-up immediately, and of course there was a symbolism of the event. And um, Yeah, that's, that, that was a really kind of a symbolic kind of um, non-linear but all intimately related to the general malaise, the increasing political crisis, social crisis, economic crisis Mm -hmm. across the West. Mm. Guys, you still there? Oh, we're here. Yep, we're there. Sorry. You're sleeping? No, we're there. I just We're we're listening enraptured (laughs) with (laughs) Neil's... Twenty-seven wrap up there. We've got. Uh, I think we've got Ryan on the line. If we want to take a yeah. call, go ahead. Ryan, are you there? Hello, hi guys. Hi. Hey Ryan. Hey Ryan. Oh, excellent. Uh, yeah, uh, Merry Christmas and uh, yep, uh, holiday season and everything. And uh, yeah, good day to everybody. Uh, this is more relevant to uh, what. Harrison was saying earlier about Russia. I just had some technical issues there. But um, uh, I was in Russia at the beginning of the year and uh, I went to Crimea uh, at the uh, first uh, and then went to Moscow and St. Petersburg. And uh, the thing that struck me about Russia was just how uh, normal it seemed um, in comparison to uh, to other sort of uh, Western cities, I suppose. Um, it was, everything was very ordered, um, uh, very peaceful. I felt quite safe there. Um, uh, yeah, just um, was there during sort of, uh, was there during the Christmas season. So uh, a lot of people were out. Um, uh, yeah, just um, very, um yeah, very cool country to visit. Um, yeah, really when when that. was that? Uh, that was at the beginning of the year. Okay. Not what you're expecting, huh? <laughs> uh, to a certain extent, I think there might have been sort of like a little uh, kind of uh, fear from sort of just years of sort of propaganda growing up. I always sort of had the idea that perhaps like, you know, Russia was this really crime-infested sort of nation that, um, you know, you had to really watch out and be careful, kind of thing. And um, 
and I mean, you always do when you when you're traveling sort of uh, by yourself in a foreign country. But um, I mean, it, to a large extent, um, it was very peaceful. Of uh, like, I didn't feel unsafe in any situations at all. Uh, it was um, like all the services were what you'd expect. Uh, the the um, currency made things extremely cheap. It was um, really uh, cost effective compared to like getting around on public transport, for instance, compared to in the West. Uh, food was plentifully available, cheap. Um, yeah, uh, and uh, uh, there was definitely that. Um, uh, so it's, it's been written about uh, how Russians aren't quite so sort of friendly and cheery on the surface uh, compared mm. to Westerners. They're not sort of like as uh, with that sort of polite polite mask, so to, so to speak, um, of, mm. of just oh hi hey how, how's everything going kind of thing. They 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 are a bit more sort of taciturn and and um, and sort of uh, seemingly standoffish, uh, but. When you get to know them, sort of after a couple of inter, even after just a couple of interactions with them, um, that does soften quite a lot, and and then they sort of open up and treat you sort of like a little bit more, sort of like a compadre rather than um, just a stranger. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, yeah, I did find that, but it wasn't something that was um, I felt was uh, anything that that really stopped me from interacting with people or, or stopped um, stopped good social disc, so, social intercourse, so to speak. So what did you, what did you do? Just hang around and... Uh, I wanted to see a lot of what was going, going around, um, going on. I, I was in Crimea for only four days. So um, yeah. just sort of did a lot of walking around um, just, seeing what the cities were like. Um, I went to Yalta briefly for a day trip. Um, mm. Then um, uh, St. Petersburg as well. Just wanted to get a real feel for the Russian culture and uh, and and mm. s- just see what, the, see what the place was like. I sort of had a, a, always sort of had a, an interest in going there. And uh, How long were you in Moscow for? Uh, about six days. Yeah. And Did then you go uh, in, Peter- uh, <laughs> in St. Petersburg, I unintentionally went clubbing. <laughs> unintentionally? Why would you not yeah. go intentionally? <laughs> you, you actually you, you, you yeah. tripped and fell in the door of a club or something? <laughs> you asked the uh, course well, information and said, this way, sir. <laughs> I unfortunately... Um, yeah, it fell for the oldest tourist trick in the book. The uh, the pretty girl got me in the club, and where I spent a, a little bit too much money on drinks afterwards. I <laughs> there's a there's a lesson learned everywhere, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, big lesson there for me. Yeah, but uh, all wherever good, you um, are, no and. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, just a be- beautiful city. Um, St. Petersburg, just um, amazing architecture, just incredible um, thought, like a uh, sense of, of the quality of thought that went into the construction of the city. The uh, the airport, for instance, uh, got into an Uber at the airport and then the drive into the city was about 10 minutes 
and it was just down one straight kind of freeway just all the way through to the city and it wasn't until getting right into the city that there was a small turn off towards where the hotel was right in the right in the center it was it was sort of that hub and spoke kind of configuration uh very planned out very well um uh very well thought uh so mm-hmm. really easy to get around um did you take the subway system the, uh, you, very briefly, I did in Moscow a bit. Uh, the Moscow subway system is extraordinary. It's it's one of the best I've used in the world. It's um, probably I'd, I'd say better than Hong Kong. Um, Hong Kong is really impressive how efficient that is, but the Russian subway system beats it um, probably on aesthetics because the the Russian subway has the the really nice um, architecture inside it. Mm-hmm. Marble uh, floors, yeah, really, and pillars, and statues. Yeah, <laughs> really, really um, uh, ornate. Like some of the walls seemed like marble and things like that. So um, uh, yeah, really ornate, but um, just so functional and efficient as well. Like trains sort of turning up every two minutes, literally. You just didn't have to wait for a train at all. Um, that they, they were just there. Well, Ryan, I you know, it's like with all we've been reading in the past few years. Uh, I know I've had a, a curiosity about Russia and things Russian culture, the society, uh, what it's gone through the past, like, uh, 80 or 100 years. And, um, like, one of the things that, that's come to mind is, you know, considering the uh, the amount of resistance that their leader, uh, President Vladimir Putin, has uh, put um, towards Western uh, imperial ambition, it's the question kind of mm. comes to mind, who are these people? Um, you know, this isn't just an anomaly. Uh, they, they obviously had a great part to play during World War II, arguably more than uh, the U.S. did uh, and other countries in Europe in, in stopping Nazi Germany. So there, there's this other kind of um, mystique or, uh, or underlying value or character uh, that seems to exist or emanate from that place. And... Um, I can't help but think that, you know, in addition to just wanting to visit an, an interesting place you've never been to before, that uh, that may have been a kind of underlying um, curiosity or uh, or, or thought. To, to yes, know. very much so, Alain. Very, very much so. Uh, I thought uh, it would be uh, a way to uh, get a feel for that or explore that kind of... Um, uh, that the vibe, so to speak, and uh, and see sort of what the 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 quality of the uh, the Russian people were like, and, and try and get a feel for that. Um, unfortunately, I probably wasn't there for long enough. Uh, I do have plans to go back. Uh, so uh, yeah, I'm currently learning Russian at the moment, and um, mm-hmm. uh, thinking about making a move there. And um, wow. just. Really would like to um, to live there for a while and just really uh, get a feel for the culture. Uh, just try and uh, uh, really absorb some of those um, good values. Mm. I think it's a good idea. Oh, cheers, Joe. Hmm. All power to you. The uh, one one thing okay. I did notice in Crimea was um, that. Uh, there were a lot of Russian flags on people's cars and uh, and and posters of uh, Putin uh, up 
people would um, like. I got a, I got a sense that sense that there was a uh, quite a, a like a Russian patriotism in Crimea from a lot of people, um, sort mm -hmm. of like not just sort of one or two, but actually a lot of people. Mm. Yeah, uh, well, I can I imagine think, that, think... that would be the case. Sorry, I can imagine that would be the case that people in Crimea would be very pro-Russian, you know, given the events of the past few years, you know. Mm. Yeah, that, that that was definitely confirmed. Uh, I, I mm. saw quite a bit of that. But yeah, so, just um, yeah. Hmm? Do you, Ryan, I was going to ask you: Do you have any, was there anything else other than the Russia thing that you wanted to uh, bring up? No, no, that's all. Uh, yeah, just yeah. wanted to uh, tell you about that. I meant to call you call in perhaps a bit earlier in the year regarding that, but um, yeah, yeah. But, uh, since it was, since it was the the last show of the year, it's probably a good time to <laughs> get it in. Quick, yeah. Quickly, quickly get that in. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that'd be something good to write up about, Ryan. Intent. Uh, ah, yeah. cheers, Neil. Yeah, I might do that. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, I, I will. I will do that. I think that's a good idea. Uh, a travelogue for shot. Yeah. Visiting the Russian yeah, okay. Empire. <laughs> no problems, Joe. All right. Ryan, thanks for your call. We'll talk to you right. soon. Cheers, guys. Thanks very much. Cheers. Will do. See you. Bye. Uh, Merry Christmas. Ryan. Have a new year. You too. Thanks for calling. Yeah, um, I'm going to come back with some facts here. No. Now. Not facts, Neil. Russia's economy grew by 2% this year, which was the, more or less, It's all the figures aren't in yet, but it's going to be about 2%. So that's the first time it's grown since it was knocked into an artificial recession by the US a couple of years ago. Um, so yeah, it's, it's bouncing back. Um, the other, I'm trying to think of the other key developments specifically concerning Russia. Um, one thing that stood out was that in September, it was Putin who proposed sending UN peacekeepers to eastern Ukraine, mm -hmm. which goes against, he's not supposed to, he's the one, he's the aggressor. Right. So how on earth can he possibly be having Lavrov stand up at the UN General Assembly in early September? Proposing, so what do they do with it? The crickets. Yeah, nothing. Chip, 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 yeah. chip. No follow-up in the media, nothing. Well, obviously this year um, a big event was really from the beginning from the beginning to the more or less the end of, of, of this year was in Syria. In term, <clears throat> as regards Russia, Russia basically cleaned up uh, cleaned up in Syria, uh, took took the trash out, so to speak. Uh, earlier on, I think in March this year, they um, was the were the really uh, significant event of um, of them liberating Aleppo. And if you remember back then, there was all sorts of uh, lies and disinformation spread about uh, from the Western press, from America in particular. Um, about what was going on, uh, what Russia was really doing, and all the people that it was killing. I remember with with horror, really, uh, having to watch Samantha Power more often than usual, um, criticizing and, and you know waxing kind of a humanitarian intervention uh, and uh, waxing extremely <clears throat> hypocritical, obviously as well, talking about um, what Russia was doing in Aleppo, killing people and barrel bombs and gas attacks and stuff. Um, I'm glad if if there's one good, uh, I don't know. Well, it wouldn't have been Samantha Power, would it? Would it? Say again. Wouldn't have been Samantha. Was it Samantha? No, it wouldn't, no, wouldn't have been Samantha Power. Um, Haley. Haley. Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley. Yes, sorry. Nikki. Uh, going on about about uh, Aleppo, and um, uh, but that was a 
a pretty major event. Wasn't Aleppo wrapped up a little earlier? March, I remember, as being the month that uh, chemical weapons attack part two, which was attempted under Obama yeah. in 2013, was rolled out again. There's been a chemical weapons attack in, can't remember the place, somewhere in central Syria, and the media went, red line, red line, and then that baited Trump mm-hmm. into launching airstrikes against this uh, airfield. I think that was March. Uh, oh no, Aleppo. I'm thinking. I'm thinking of, of a different of um, something else. I think with Aleppo was the uh, um, in Aleppo government, the East Aleppo offensive, basically um, to do with the. But Aleppo was wrapped up last year, no? Yeah, December. Yeah, December it was yeah. it December basically? Yeah. yeah, there was some cleanups basically going on into into this year. But Aleppo was wrapped up before, uh, by Christmas yeah, last right, year, right before Christmas, year. because they liberated and then they had Christmas celebrations in right. the, on the streets. Right, exactly. Yeah, and they uh, the Palmyra actually was finally retaken again this year in March for the third time, mm-hmm. uh, kind of definitively. And that was really towards the. That was you know there were when those towns were starting with Aleppo in December last year. Uh, then when the the, the the Syrian army was able to uh, retake more and more towns, uh, including Palmyra and then later Deir ez uh, and uh, many other smaller towns, they they basically kept them. There was no more back and forth like there had been with this Palmyra, which was all indicative of the fact that uh, the the year and a half at that point, I suppose. Of uh, Russian uh, Russian bombing and and in of ISIS in, in Syria was really, you know, producing results mm-hmm. and leading up to obviously in in, the, in recent uh, in the last couple of months uh, the kind of definitive um, liberation of all of Syria in the last month really. Um, so yeah. Um, well, uh, we spoke a, a moment ago about um, Ukraine and. Uh, Putin gave his yearly um, talk to uh, to the media and to a live audience that lasted a little under four hours. And I thought one of the most interesting questions he got um, was from a socialite. I don't remember her name, not really a journalist exactly, but uh, she she asked him about, uh, you know, she was talking about the election, the upcoming presidential election and, and Putin's um, uh, Putin's running. And uh, made some kind of uh, statement to the effect that she was advocating Alexei Navalny. Well, wasn't that uh, Sobchak, who also was running for election? Sobchak, yeah. yeah she, w- was she actually running? Yeah, she, the, the lady yeah. ans- asking the question is actually a presidential candidate. She's also a sh- socialite. She's called like the Russian, the Russian yeah. equivalent of Paris Hilton, essentially. Right. That's so, Putin's old boss's daughter. Yeah. So she, mm-hmm. she asks him about uh, Navalny, uh, who is this... Um, you know, we, we've come to understand this kind of uh, U.S. State Department, George Soros um, shill, uh, who's talking about anti-corruption in Russia. And um, <laughs> and and uh, Putin says something really funny. He says, uh, what do you want, a, a bunch of Saakashvili's running around, uh, around Russia? Mm-hmm. And, of course, he was referring to uh, Mikhail Saakashvili, who was the former president of uh, Georgia, who had started a war <laughs> in South Ossetia in I think 2006, Eight, uh, four, where yeah, he was yeah. where he was routed uh, by Russian forces, later thrown out on corruption charges of the Ukraine, gets appointed to, to be like the governor of Odessa by uh, Poroshenko, uh, quits that job, 
has a falling out with Poroshenko uh, and and is now trying to insinuate himself back into the politics of Ukraine. I mean, he's not even Ukrainian. So, um, you know. As an anti-corruption activist. Ironically, right? (laughs) So, you know, Putin was laughing at the ridiculousness of of the only kind of people that the West would have um, put into you know, positions of power in Ukraine, uh, in Russia, and uh, and made a very good point. And the audience was was kind of chuckling at this because they understand and they know. And and it's something that uh, that this socialite who's running for president is largely ignorant of. And you can just see that she was squirming uh, as she asked this question. So that was quite enjoyable to me. And she, like part of her um, uh, like platform that she's put forward is that she wants to return Crimea to Ukraine. She says that Russia has become an aggressor nation. And she, so she's pretty much a, a talking head for all of the um, like U.S. slash um, pro-U.S. Russian element, um, you know, talking points. Mm-hmm. So no one really takes her seriously in, in, the, in Russia even. I mean, I think the latest polls, um, there was a poll just last weekend or, or this week sometime that said, or last week sometime, it was basically a poll. If we were, if the government were to hold presidential elections this weekend, who would you vote, who would you vote for? And so Putin got like 60 something percent and, um, Zhirinovsky, is that his name? Um, mm-hmm. got like 17, the communist guy got like 15 or something. And then everyone else got like, you know, under 1% and that included, uh, Sobchak and Navalny. Navalny isn't even running though. Um, I don't think, is he? What the, what's the, yeah, what's the deal with that? He 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 was going to run, but I think the like the Russian uh, elections commission or whatever they are, they they said he couldn't run for some reason, and so he's like planning to boycott the elections or something. I don't know, <laughs> but uh, but anyways, they have like zero popularity, and she's like she represents she's the kind of person that appears on Russian talk shows and and news where they basically they give free reign to these kind of people, like they'll get American journalists on or just the really rapidly pro U.S. Um, Russian people on to just state, you know, what they want to say and just essentially make fools of themselves because, you know, everyone just <laughs> can't stand them and they just spew nonsense. So it's really, it's, it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting propaganda method to just let you, like your opponent or your enemy really just say whatever they want and then just laugh about it afterwards um, which is totally opposite to what the U.S. does, for example. You'd never get um, Russian politicians or people, you know, on on mainstream uh, media in the U.S. just saying what they want, like essentially doing what RT does um, to a mm. large degree. You'd never get them, you know, be, being on CNN doing this um, because because it doesn't really really work that way. Because uh, if they were to say that, then people would be like, oh, wait a second, uh, that doesn't make any sense. But uh, but on Russia, in Russia. It makes perfect sense because they're just, you know, spewing nonsense right. all the time. Yeah. The other big topic this year, obviously, was the um, sexual harassment, <clears throat> hashtag me too, uh, situation that really, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, but that really was, uh, it was this year, but uh, it, it, I suppose it began last year with Trump's, uh, mm. with, the, with the information that came out about that it was part of, I suppose, opp- opposition research against Trump. To, uh, when they released a tape of him saying lewd things about about women 
um, to they dug up a what a twelve year old tape or something like that, and it was used to try and discredit him uh, run, in the uh, in the run up to the to the vote last uh, last November, and that has carried on. It really get, that seems to have really, you know, just sparked that fire, started that off, you know, and it's been fueled. I think I can imagine that if Trump hadn't won. Uh, even though that tape about him was used to discredit him, I can imagine that if Trump had not won uh, and Hillary had won and she was now president, we would have had nothing of what we've seen in terms of this uh, sexual harassment business over the over the past year, basically. Mm-hmm. I don't think we would have seen any of it. Uh, the, the the tape of Trump would have been put down to, yeah, well, that's aren't you glad he didn't win, you know? Um, that kind of people would have breathed this. Some people would have breathed a sigh of relief, you know, and that would have been the end of it, you know. But because he won, there was this, you know, screaming at the screaming at the sky from so many people, and 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 so many people were motivated to um to to. I mean, it it, it seems to be directly tied to Trump because all the way through his first year, um, up to today, uh, there has been in the background this allegation of still haunting him in a certain sense. Of of allegations from women that he was uh, harassed them in some way, um, and and it's also uh, as as a result of that, it's given rise to um, this outpouring of allegations and uh, about so many other people, you know, high profile individuals in the in the, obviously in Hollywood, but also politicians, increasingly politicians these days, um, and it's also emboldened the. Uh, <clears throat> I suppose that what you call the feminist uh, section of the social justice camp that has also that was also uh, there last year that or has been there over the past year or two I suppose we define it as kind of like uh, as the, the starting point of it really although that's not the starting point of it but the point at which it became came into the public public attention really came to public attention was um, with Jordan Peterson and his uh, debates with people over over the gender pronoun business, you know. So all that stuff kind of me- melds together, you know. And I know they don't all support each other necessarily because basically, I, know, I mean, they're all out, they're in it for their own cause, basically. All of them are each discrete group within, under the umbrella of social justice warriors is fighting for their own cause. But they all tend to, at least my impression is that they all kind of feed off each other. When one gets attention, then attention almost spills over onto other groups because all of them make the claim of being the victims of some kind of injustice. Therefore, yeah. what's good for one is good for everybody. If you highlight one's, uh, one's uh, the injustice uh, um, that that uh, one group has mm. been uh, oppressed, subject to, then... Everybody else gets to say, "Yeah, me too." Yeah, it's been a phenomenal year for the unveiling of ideology at every every level. You know, Trump mm. inadvertently pulled back this curtain, and and the people who literally believe he is the reincarnation of Hitler just let go. They just they just show themselves. We've already talked about the contempt they hold for others. Well, in the process of justifying their contempt, they they spouted their ideologies. Right, ideologies plural, but there's so much in common and so much overlap that everything from a Hollywood scandal to pure Beltway DC politics mm-hmm. to international affairs to social justice issues like 
Black Lives Matter. There's, there's so much in common that they all started to sort of map with each other. Yeah. And, and this presents this landscape of these a large number of people who are nuts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> You know, um, but it's been a, it's been amazing, phenomenal. I, you can't even keep up with this one thing after the other. Yeah, it's just it's steamrolling um, across the landscape. We have a. We want to take a call, Harrison? We've got yeah, a we've got two there. callers on the line, so we'll we'll take the first and then we'll go to the second. Um, so, uh, Tom, we'll get to you second. We're going to go with unknown caller user one three six first of all. So, user one three six, you're on you're on the air. Uh, who do we have with us? Hi, I'm Bahar. Oh, hi, Bahar. Hi, Bahar. Hey guys. Hey Bahar. Um, hello. So I have a question about your expectations for next year. Mm. Um, so this year in June there were two terrorist attacks in Tehran in Iran. Uh, do you think, uh, or how likely do you think it is that terrorist attacks will occur in Iran next year? Okay. Mm. Is that is that? Do you have another question? <laughs> uh, maybe another one as well. I don't mean I don't mean we're not going to answer that one. I just wondering if you have another. Okay. Uh, okay, that's um, it. Yes. Okay. No, no, you I do? have one go. more. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. It's more like a general question. Uh, so, with regard yeah. to Turkey, so we know that Turkey, at least in the beginning, they um, help terrorists a lot, or at least the let's mm. say the evil group in Turkey. Uh, do you think next year they will be siding more and more with uh, Russia, China, and Iran? Hmm. Those okay. are my two questions. All right. Well, the first one, I suppose, uh, is there going to be more terror attacks in Iran? Uh, mm-hmm. I would say uh, there's a strong possibility of that happening because um, I really don't think there's going to be any kind of, uh, despite despite the fact that uh, Nikki Haley's producing uh, so-called alleged, uh, you know, big aluminum tubes or something or metal tubes and. Uh, at at uh, I don't know where she produced it it's somewhere it wasn't at the UN but because it's too big to get into the UN right she had to have her own studio for it it was in DC in DC uh, she produced this big so called uh, Iranian uh, missile tube or something which is just hilarious we've actually have a soft focus up on the on the on, mm-hmm. on the website right now about that but um, yeah if I don't think there's there's not this is more of the same you know I mean if there's one thing I yeah. would say to everybody it's Forget about the idea of there ever being any kind of a big war at this point. Because the only places there can be a big war where it's actually interesting for the U.S. to have a big war, uh, i.e. like, you know, an invasion and and, and getting their way basically is uh, in the Middle East or uh, specifically uh, Iran or uh, thereabouts and over in Asia in in some way or other to, to kind of contain China or give China a problem. And the problem with that is, is that because of, uh, <clears throat> Russia in in Syria and the kind of new configuration in in, in the Middle East as a result of Syria, uh, Russia being in Syria, uh, which has emboldened Iran and strengthened Iran, and the kind of alignments that are going on there uh, means that uh, the U.S. simply can't do anything uh, in terms of mm-hmm. bombing those countries. I mean, they'll talk all about it, and the same way they talk about bombing North Korea, they can't bomb North Korea either. You know, um, yeah. they'll talk about it all the time. But we've heard this by now. We should all realize that we've heard this so many times before. Uh, uh, specifically about North Korea, they, they've been they've been shouting about North Korea for at least you know maybe probably fourteen fifteen years now. They've been North Korea has been part of the axis of evil, and that might have been on their agenda way back in two thousand three, like Iraq was on their agenda. But when they went to Iraq in two thousand three and did what they did there and, and in Afghanistan, 
um, and they then pushed for for more. <clears throat> Eventually, they they received a kickback, and that that pushback from from Russia uh, really forcing Russia to come into the into the equation and into the area has fundamentally changed that. And uh, the U.S. can't do that anymore without running the serious risk of uh, incurring what they call unacceptable um, unacceptable damages, not damages, what is it? Losses. Unacceptable losses, unacceptable losses, mm-hmm. which, which means, you know, planes falling out of the sky, that kind of thing. And China, by the same token, is powerful enough to uh, impose that, that danger of losses on them in, the, in, in North Korea or in any other Asian country that they might think of. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that, well, the reason I'm saying that is because the, the fallback when America can't get its way overtly by threatening or by actually invading a country is to find some way to uh, uh, threaten the country or destabilize the country through terrorism, uh, through proxy forces blowing things up. Now, there was a terror attack actually in, like you mentioned, those two, no? In, in Iran two, this year. Yes. In Tehran, yeah. Um, and the problem is that once you do that, when the more of those kind of um, attacks that, you, that that are carried out by by kind of proxy forces on behalf of Israel, for, for example, which I think was what was going on in Tehran, um, mm-hmm. the more you alert the country that's that you're attacking of how you're going about that, and they shut doors. You know, they lock things down in various areas and make it more and more difficult for you to do that. So. It doesn't mean that there won't be more attempts and possibly more successful ones, but the more that that happens, the less likely it is to happen again uh, in the future. So, um, no, I think we're kind of in an end game as far as the the Middle East and the U.S.'s yeah. control and dominance in the Middle East is. It, it's obviously they've been there for so long. It's going to take a while to really for things to change, uh, uh, you know, and 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 to the full extent. Um, but it's in process, I think. And of course, the, they'll fight to the last kind of proxy jihadi terrorist. Uh, the U.S. will yeah. and Israel will, and the Saudis will. But um, but I think they're on they're on the losing end of that right now. And it's just it's all over with the crying type thing. It's all over with the crying in Washington. Um, mm-hmm. So I wouldn't. I don't think it's a big issue really. Uh, terrorism in Iran. And I don't think Iran's going to be bombed either. Um, mm-hmm. For the reasons. Just Europe. Uh, just Europe. But the main thing about these people, what they do is at this point, they seem to be turning more and more so to containing the... They're fighting a war on two fronts, really. They're fighting a war, a propaganda war. Most of their war against Russia, uh, in particular, is a propaganda war because they can't do anything else. So they just try and smear Russia. And it's quite, it can be quite effective, you know, sanctions and economic war. And But they can't even do much with economic war anymore. So it's really just a, a silly propaganda war, name-calling, basically. Um, <clears throat> and... So they're fighting it on that front, but and that also applies to the population, you know, uh, to the because they're afraid of uh, a, a sea change in European, uh, let's say European and American to a less extent American, I think, but also there as well. Mm-hmm. They're afraid of people's perception of the world changing fundamentally. Their perception of the U.S., the world, uh, a Pax Americana, basically, where the U.S. rules the world, you know, with its kind of vassals in Europe and stuff, and they're the the world's greatest democracies and that's all there is to it and we're the best, USA, 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 you know. Um, mm-hmm. that there's a That's in danger of kind of falling apart. And I think these people put a lot of uh, stock or a lot of emphasis on keeping people's minds uh, on, 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 in the same, on the same track that they've always been on, you know, like uh, as I was just describing, you know, of, of seeing the West as best. And uh, they're very concerned about 
that being watered down and changed, you know, because I think it has a lot of mm-hmm. uh, real world, very practical effects, uh, knock on effects whenever people's perception changes, you know. And I mean here, and, and by people, I mean large numbers of people in the US or in Europe or even elsewhere around the world, when they start to see things differently and think differently about the world, that then inevitably has very real world effects. Uh, and, it, and in this case, it, it, there would be negative effects for, for the West. So um, I think they, that they're, they're really, the only thing they've got left in terms of containing people and keeping them dependent and looking to uh, Western governments for, as they're, you know, the defenders of democracy is to is to attack the people, is to is to carry out these kind of uh, terror attacks or facilitate these kind of terror attacks, yeah. where you kind of smack people, you know, and again, a blunt forced in- instrument to to yeah. the bu- to the to the public mind to shock it. But we've seen even this year in those many terror attacks in in the UK, in Sweden, in France, um, and in Spain, where people are just like. It's the same thing. It's a kind of diminishing returns. The more you do it, the less effective it is. <clears throat> the more they try and carry out terror attacks with proxy forces in Iran or anywhere else, the less likely it is in the future for them to be able to do it again. Because, you know, countries like are like, uh, you know, they, they learn, you know, like like any person does, you know. It's like a machine, you know. It's like AI, basically. You know, once once it learns, gets more information about something, then it, it changes, it adapts to the new reality, you know. And so you can only do terror attacks for so long before, of course, you can keep on doing terror attacks for as long as you want. I mean, they have an endless supply of <clears throat> mind program, Patsy, you know, low intelligence jihadis who they can give weapons to and, uh, you know, to go and, you know, drive cars into people and stuff. But the real problem is the effect that you want. It's not, they don't want to do that just for the sake of it. They want to do it to have an effect on the public mind. Mm-hmm. But the more you do that, the less, uh, the more kind of, uh, inoculated against the the shocking effects of that uh, that the people become, you know, um, the, it no longer has the desired effect because, well, we've seen this before. It becomes a new normal for people and people incorporate it into their normal lives, but they're still... And it produces effects they weren't expecting. Yeah, exactly. That's Bre- the other thing. Brexit. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a losing game. That's the really frustrating thing about this is it's a losing game that these people are playing. Mm-hmm. And they don't seem to have any awareness of that fact because they don't have another option because their alternative is, well, what do we do? We'll just sit back and do nothing then? Take no action whatsoever? Uh, yeah. I mean, stop, uh, you know, fighting and, and trying to protect our interests in this way and to manipulate public opinion. What we're meant to not do that? Well, we know what will happen if that doesn't, if we, if we do that, right? It'll all go pear-shaped even faster for us. So we have to, we're on this course and we have to continue on this course, but it's, any sense to see that it's going to—it's simply delaying the inevitable. Uh, it's pretty sad, you know, and we have to suffer through it. But and obviously the people who get get killed have to and, and traumatized by it have to suffer through it. But mm. um, and the other question was what? Um, about Turkey, if you oh, think, yeah. yeah, they will be siding more and more with uh, Russia, China, and Iran, or are they still kind of still connected to the U.S.? Well, of course, in, well, I, in some areas, but yeah, I, I think the, that's changing slowly but surely, and it'll get to a point where the Turks have more or less. <clears throat> I mean, politicians are, generally speaking, they're uh, untrustworthy people. You know, most of them, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can never be one hundred percent sure, and they always try to play play both sides. 
against each other and, and get the best option, you know. But I think Turkey, in, in, in this new reality that I just described with Russia in the Middle East, etc., and um, that that Turkey will finally, um, you know, even you know, <clears throat> without necessarily intending it, will just find itself in a in a in a, in a new reality where, um, where where it's no longer aligned really with with the West, and they seem to be moving in that direction right now. And I don't see any uh, any reason why they would would go back. Certainly, as long as Erdogan is in power, because I don't think he's going to forget that uh, that coup attempt last year in July. He's, yeah, not, exactly. he's not going to forget that um, uh, quickly. Uh, so I think trust Erdogan, at least in terms of his government, his trust in, in the US is, is pretty much at zero. You know, he's not very well disposed towards the EU either. Uh, so that only really leaves him uh, with the uh, with the option of of looking well in Turkey's case, looking north and and looking east. Um, and they seem to be doing that increasingly. And of course, Turkey will play a significant role uh, in China's whole One Belt, One Road initiative, where they're trying to knit together uh, all of these Eurasian countries from China right over to, well, including Western Europe. But they'd be the last, really. Well, not the last necessarily. Well, the um, big the big news this week concerning Iran is that Iran is joining the Eurasian Union. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Which is like, w- wait for it. Once Iran goes. There'll be a queue in at the front door, mm. and uh, suddenly this thing that was mocked mercilessly for ten years, especially in the U.S. but also in Europe, the Eurasian Union, mm-hmm. <laughs> never going to happen. Who's going to join it? Well, we'll see. Yeah, it's quite significant actually, yeah. and also David Cameron. I, I mentioned Western Europe would be last, but I, I think China wants to basically, you know, China wants wants to work with everybody at the same time. It's not like it's China starting at the country nearest to it in in the east and then moving one country at a time over. China's like basically everywhere, you know, and they have been economically for a long time, supplying the world with uh, plastic crap. Uh, <laughs> not, not not only plastic crap these days; they're, they're getting better and better, you know, um, at the stuff that they supply. But uh, I mean. Just recently, David Cameron, the former previous British Prime Minister, is heading up this uh, initiative, basically, which is to—it's an investment fund that the the British the British government has put um, not the government, not taxpayers' money. I don't know where the money came from exactly, but it's a billion pounds, basically, into this kind of Chinese-British initiative as part of this of China's One Belt One Road to knit Eurasia together. Um, he's heading this up, and it's basically about. Improving the state of ports and railways and roads uh, that are have been designated as the kind of the linkages between countries in Eurasia, right over to the UK, you know, and China's mm-hmm. putting a bunch of money into it as well, you know. Um, so it's it's interesting that these people are doing that like, anyway. Does it sound like they're hedging their bets a little, Joe? Well, well, you can hedge your bets, you know, in in the sense of you put more and more money into, but eventually you start to realize, well. You know, it can, it can hedge your bets between Eurasia and America, the Atlanticists and the Eurasians. But then eventually, if you keep on hedging your bets, eventually you find that, oh, look, I've got, in my bet on Eurasia, I've got 100 billion. And my bet on the Atlantic, uh, NATO, basically, I have only 10 billion. Uh, I'm still hedging my bets, but ultimately, you know, it, it's going to go one way or the other. That's what happens when you hedge your bets, right? <laughs> eventually, you're taking two options. But eventually, it it it, it uh, plays out into one option over the other, mm-hmm. and um, and I, I mean I don't see any way that that the kind of Eurasian option isn't going to ultimately uh, prevail. And and of course, this is what America is is right to the heart of the whole 
uh, what how America is acting in the world today and has been acting for a long time, you know, to try and offset or trying to push back uh, what they foresaw, I think, quite a long time ago as uh, as 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 a change in in the global order, basically based on uh, the rise of China and increasing technolo- technologicalization of um of, of all of the countries in Eurasia as well you know you can't stop the spread of technology you can keep it down for a long time but ultimately you know uh, all of africa is going to have you know high speed internet and you know super highways and you know mega cities and stuff and uh, you know unless america gets in uh, but even geographically america's problem has always been geography you know it's a fundamental problem. It's the one thing they can't overcome. If they could, you know, if they could like link America to Western Europe, you know, geographically push it over or something, maybe it might work. But the problem is that Eurasia is one landmass and it's even and it's connected to Africa as well, you know. And China, with its population and its productivity, is just uh, combined with uh, Russia's oil, oil resources. They're just set to to transform and have the capability of transforming all of Eurasia, you know economically and, and boosting it especially with the, the increasing availability of, of technology you know and of course people have had to get weapons as well to protect themselves the only reason weapons have to factor into this the only reason Russia's happy about it I'm sure but the only reason Russia's Russia's arms industry industry right now is skyrocketing is because they a lot of countries have to uh, arm themselves against the threat of well what I mean who's who's posed the threat of invading countries uh, who's proposed the primary threat of invading countries uh, over the past, what, how long back do we have to go? 40, 50 years? I mean, who has invaded other countries over that period of time? Russia. Russia. You know what I mean? But right. I mean, and by, invaded, uh, by invading, I mean not just your neighbor, I mean actually from a base elsewhere in the world, flying over and invading, p- picking different countries and invading them. It's been America. The only reason people uh, need to arm themselves, and Russia is happy to arm people because it makes money off it, and it also secures those countries against kind of foreign aggression, i.e. American aggression, uh, so that this whole Eurasian project can actually uh, can proceed. So yeah, and Turkey is a big big part of that, I think, and Turkey has an eye on, on, on that and the, the kind of boon, economic boon they could have um, if, if they come on board with that, you know. So I think they will. You know, money talks at the end of the day. Um, so, so that's what I think. Just one more thing. So do you think after, considering what you just said, um, do you think that U.S. deep state pretty much lost their, let's say, game in the Middle East? Or are they still, you know, with maybe some connections with Saudi Arabia and their well, I don't know if it's a proxy war maybe in Yemen, you know, the U.S. fighting with Iran through Yemen. I mean, do you think for the most part they lost their game in the Middle East or do you think there's maybe a chance that they'll still create more and more chaos over there? Well, I think that's the only option is to create chaos over there, you know. Um, mm-hmm. At this point, that's how they've always that's how they've, that's been their main policy in terms of uh, controlling a region or country is to light a fire in the country and 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 then in that way you know step in with aid or military support and with military support comes you know uh, economic inf- infiltration and control you can they can overthrow governments and put in governments that are aligned with them and you know they establish all sorts of economic ties and military ties with countries that basically make them make those countries 
<clears throat> vassals of, of the U.S., you know. Um, but the problem, like I keep saying, is that the, in the Middle East, there's many, most of the countries in the Middle East now, the exception of, well, they all know it really, and most of them um, know that this is what America does, and the, and the trust in America has really been eroded uh, to a large extent, where people, uh, I mean, the Iraqis, I don't think have, have loads of lots of uh, very good reasons not to trust uh, the Americans anymore, you know. Um, yeah, exactly. And if, and if uh, it's not ideological for these people, obviously they, like I said, money talks. But what's really needed is someone to come in who can offer them as good or better an economic deal, you know. And that's what Russia and both Russia and China are trying to do, you know, um, mm-hmm. because people people would, uh, you know, still align with with the U.S. Or whatever if the U.S. was to play nice and start giving them. You know, proper deals and do, doing, uh, uh, you know, e- economically economic collaboration, equal economic uh, collaboration with them, um, and stop messing with their countries, basically. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't think America ideologically can do that because it's been set on a path for so long of manipulating other countries that it doesn't know what, any other way to do it. You know, and I think at this point, many countries understand that and know that the ones that have been subjected to it. You know, mm-hmm. so uh, yeah, pretty much. I, I yeah. think they've, I think they've lost. Um, in the Middle East at this point. And it's, like I said, it's all over the kind of but the crying, you know? Um, Okay. Well, thank you for answering my questions. All right. Thanks for calling. Yes. And wish you all a merry white Christmas Mm. and uh, (laughs) and a happy new year. You too. (laughs) Okay. You too, Bahar. Take care. Bye. Merry Christmas. Bye-bye. See ya. Let's go straight to Tom. All right. I'm waiting a while. Tom, are you on the line? I am. Hi, guys. Hi. Um, How's it going? Yes. Yeah, good. Thank you. Um, Just looking at how things have changed over the last 12 months, um, you guys briefly mentioned the topic of ideology and things like that just before Baha Mm. ran in. And... um, it reminds me of, of uh, what Jordan Peterson sometimes says about ideology and that the left's always moving, at uh, the centre, sorry, the centre's always shifting. Um, and how, over the last 12 months, that's affected SOT itself. How mm-hmm. SOT public perception shifted, the angles that you've taken has shifted. Um, I think mm-hmm. in the past, SOT was probably regarded as more left-leaning. Um, mm-hmm. Where, uh, you know, uh, like the Israel-Palestine situation and things like mm. that. And uh, whereas now I think people who are, are, are further to the left are probably fleeing sort in droves and we might be getting more people who consider themselves more right-leaning. And, and what, what's going on there, whether you could talk about that for a little bit? Mm. Yeah, that's a hot topic. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, we've well, talked about this, but we've talk, we going to say something? Schizophrenic? No, the whole point is... I've always been socially conservative. I think that describes all of us for tea. I mean, we really? don't... You, you know, to be a rabid lefty. In some respects, yeah. But I've always been the monk to my people growing up. I mean, the aesthetic. That immediately yeah. cuts me right out of the whole postmodernist right. left version of left. Yeah. Always happen. Hate it. Yeah. I suppose the leftists... The leftist thing was a veneer, really, you know, and there's an underlying nature, I suppose, that uh, that comes out. And like this, and, and ties in with the title of the show, The Great Unveiling, because it's also been a personal unveiling for a lot of people, I think, in terms of um, uh, really looking at what 
your kind of core principles are and, and seeing the things you've adopted and seeing whether they fit anymore and whether they are really reflective of how you see the world and what you the world you'd kind of like to see or the principles that you that you live by um and and you know one part of that was i mean we, we were accused of being we were kind of like technically leftists i suppose in that respect where we were an, largely anti-imperialist you know um and of course that le- leads into a lot of other kind of social causes you can easily find yourself advocating for a lot of other social causes because of your anti-war stance you know but we were primarily um anti-war that was our leftist tendency and that's what the left traditionally was was i suppose was anti-war and uh pro-peace uh so that fit for a while but um recently i suppose it's become a bit more complex and like you mentioned tom with uh, jordan peterson uh bringing uh bringing a lot of information to the to the debate and uh, and, and also at the same time the rise of of a kind of more rabid left and the left actually exposing itself for what it was really about, you know, it was, uh, and, and then that brings in the whole Marxist business and uh, the kind of uh, stuff that Peterson talks about were um, were religion factors into it, you know, the, or the idea of a, the transcendent or something higher than yourself, you know, and how that's very important uh, for human society in general because, as he says, it's it's one of the things that not everybody but a lot of people rely on to in order to put up with or suffer through the or deal with the the inherent suffering in life you need to have something to kind of project that suffering onto to give it some kind of meaning um people want to remove religion like atheists and a lot of the lefties would some of them anyway let's say not all of them but a lot of them would be would tend to towards uh atheism or certainly criticism of, of religion uh and and that's very dangerous uh from from for society as a whole because there's a lot of people who rely on that to to stabilize them and to keep them kind of plodding forward <clears throat> as the the slings and arrows of life uh, come upon them. Uh, and to remove that then effectively makes life meaningless, you know, um, for a lot of people. Not for everybody, that's the thing. These atheists don't have a problem, seem to don't have, seem to not have a problem with, with life having no meaning other than just kind of materialism, effectively. Uh, that that's good enough for them, like uh, Christopher Hitchin, who was a noted uh, atheist and argued strenuously against uh, uh, religion for a lot of his a lot of his life. Um, he's I was listening to a talk he gave uh, well before he died, obviously, but um, where he said he was asked what's the meaning of life, and he said I thought it was very interesting because he didn't qualify it at all. He just said straight out he said that the meaning of life for him was um, uh, kind of laughing or uh, sneering at the misfortunes of other people, uh, um, and then he mentioned uh, gin and Campari and sex. Those are the three things that were for him enough to give meaning to his life. And he may, may be being a, bit, a little bit facetious. Obviously, he might have included family and kids and that kind of stuff, which he had. But it was all very, it was very much a materialist view, and he saw no reason for anything, any idea of trans, the transcendent or anything higher than himself, uh, and that was no problem for him. So I think the important point there is that we have to recognise that there are different types of human beings, uh, people who are very much immersed in materiality, and that is their god. Effectively, that's enough for them. You know, uh, there's no angst, there's no existential angst for a lot of people. But for the, the maybe let's say the 
let's arbitrarily divide it by 50-50 and say that for 50% of the people who do have that kind of existential angst uh, and have that um, you know, questioning about life, uh, religion or some kind of spirituality, um, something higher than themselves uh, is very important for them. Um, and But a lot of people can be duped into giving that up. And then, like as Peterson has said many times, uh, uh, when that happens, as has happened in, in, in history, uh, people turn on, can turn on, on society um, and turn on life itself. And they can get swept up in an ideology that's extremely destructive, you know, to, to take out their, their, their anger at the, at the futility, what they see as the futility of life. So, um, I don't know. Well, I'm do you think, uh, go on, Neil. No, I was going to say, do you think, do you think, um, uh, we're, we're trying to hold the center at sort politically? I, I don't even know where Absolutely. the politics comes into it, but yeah, it's about, it's about truth, you know, because I mean, we're probably freaking a lot of people out and people are, I mean, I know the people in the comments on, on Todd are seem to be a bit con- yeah. confused, you know, um, because one day we'll, uh, we'll criticize Trump and the next day we'll support him. Uh, and the whole point is that it's a context, you know, it's like, I mean, this idea of you have to pick a camp, you have to be left or right and pick it and stick with it. And mm-hmm. if you're left, you're against everything, right? If you're right, you're against everything left. The whole idea of like, the both ideas is ridiculous, obviously, because each situation has to be taken on its own merits and it's, and in, in, in the context that it occurs, you know, and exactly. uh, and that's where your principles come come into play what how you see life and, and, and how you see what's good uh, what is good uh, the good and what is what is bad what is good for you what is good for your community what is good for society you have a responsibility to all of that and to, and to live that you know so in any given situation Trump can be an asshole or he can be a good guy mm-hmm. I would but just people add that, are, uh, if, yeah. if I could just say I would just add that uh, Tom I think we're we're trying to make distinctions where people who identify with one ideology or party or another uh, don't tend to make distinctions. And um, it's, it's sometimes a very challenging thing to do because, you know, on one hand, you know, it's like Putin at this recent uh, talk was asked about abortion and, and outlawing it. And as we know, you know, he's, he comes from a very kind of uh, conservative Christian value-based um, uh, background. Um, and yeah, actually, he's come from a communist background, but he too is learning to re-embrace things. Well, he was baptized. He's evaluating. There's no. He was baptized. He was baptized mm-hmm. as a kid. Okay. Yes, but mm-hmm. excuse me, carry on, Lam. He's always had that underlying kind of faith that that his mom brought him up with, and that is part of this renaissance in Russia right now, uh, in in thinking. Um, but just to get to my point, there, he, you know, he said. We don't want to do away completely with a woman's right to choose. It's important. Uh, we don't. If if we did something like that, it would it would mean uh, a woman having to um, you know seek illegal means to do so. And, and yet he's he's pretty conservative. It doesn't mean that he you know is necessarily pro-abortion. Uh, so he you know he's trying to find a, a middle ground, a, a fine line. And if you look in the U.S., you know, if, if you look at the things that were behind uh, pro-life uh, or pro-choice, rather, um, thinking in the U.S., uh, it's informed by all, all kinds of the most fascistic totalitarian thinking, uh, which, you know, 
you don't you don't know about because you're not told about it. it you're you're only told that this is what a, a progressive left leaning uh, person how person would think like. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's it's making all of these distinctions and it's hard work. It's it's how many things have we had to reexamine or look at the background of or see mm-hmm. you know how what things were informed by this year. So it's mm-hmm. a really good question, I think, and and uh, it's just um, it's just an ongoing process of fine-tuning our understanding of what we're looking at. Yeah, I, and mm. I think that one of the ways that Jordan Peterson put it, and I, I've, I've you know, found it to be true for myself, is that when you, uh, well, context changes certain things, like things swing back and forth, there are kind of cycles, and in some situations, like, you'll, you'll have the conservative, a conservative outlook is maybe more required or more accurate, and in other situations, mm-hmm. a more a more leftist or progressive thing is needed. Now, what we're seeing, what mm-hmm. we've seen, is a swing so far to the left that um, a lot of the causes that the left has, you know, um, stood up for have become like caricatures of themselves. So, for me, uh, you know, I can speak for myself when when I say that I, in a lot of ways, I still hold all the same values that that I had, you know, even when Sot was more you know, could be considered more leftist, but there are, like Alan was saying, more distinctions added on top of that. So, for example, mm-hmm. I don't think that any of us would, would say that, uh, well, I think, you know, we, if, if we, you would have asked us years ago, we would have said, yeah, racism is bad, sexism is bad, you know, wars mm-hmm. are bad, police brutality is bad. And I think <laughs> all those things are still true, but there are, yeah. there are new distinctions. So, for example, yes, racism is bad, but there is a but, but you know, a lot of the things that are called racism aren't actually racism. And there are worse mm-hmm. examples of racism that go on. And there's even an inherent racism in in a lot of the anti-racism uh, ideology and rhetoric. And like with police brutality, we still put up articles on, on police brutality. Um, but the, what might have changed, like for me, for instance, is um, let's take like the, the Black Lives Matter perspective that, that um, maybe blacks are overrepresented um, in the in the way that, in, in the figures basically the statistics well there are statistic, statistics and, and analyses that go in both directions when you look at it the the you know there are some analyses that show that the proportions are same are, are similar to like the proportions of crime for example so it's it's there, there's no like overrepresentation and a lot of white people and you know people of other races and um, and mentally ill people also suffer the same kind of police brutality. And so it's not like all of a sudden, you know, Saad has totally gone, like, um, always take the cop's position. Oh, well, you know, if a cop is ever in fear for his life and, you know, the guy makes one wrong move, it's he's totally justified in killing that perp or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. like no. Um, but, uh, like, it, it's more on the level of ideology where it's like, okay, well, mm-hmm. there are people that are using all of these all of these issues for a political purpose. And often it comes down to, um, it, ironically, it comes down to this power game that the that the people on the left, um, you know, see in everything. It's all it's you know all interpretation uh, is power, and all politics is power, and patriarch the patriarchy is the ultimate power system. When really it's just that they want an inversion of power, and so um, <clears throat> a lot of these statistics or issues are used in a propagandistic way in order to turn the tables and for them to get the you know the power, and. Um, right. so, so there are, there are certain, like, um, there are certain things where you learn, where you learn the facts about them. You realize it's, it's not as, it's not as simple as, as maybe mm-hmm. you thought it was. And 
Um, and you can even even then like the the core values don't necessarily change. It's the the context that changes and how you apply that to like the specific situation that you're looking at. So mm-hmm. and and so I think that a lot of that has just come out. Um, it's become more apparent to us, I think. And ironically, you know, well maybe not ironically, just in a funny way, it's been um, it's been Trump that has done that. It's like popping that that bubble where a lot of you know new perspectives kind of come in and you see. Like you say, okay, well, I can see where the conservatives are coming from, you know, on this issue. I don't necessarily agree with the way that, you know, that they frame it or that they, um, that they go about, you know, the, the policies they propose to necessarily, you know, um, do something about it. But I can see the issue. You know, I can see, mm. I can see what the, the problem is. And, and so just coming back to Peterson again, sometimes in some situations, you know, the right is right. Sometimes the left is right. And sometimes both mm. are wrong. Um, and mm. it really depends on the context. Yeah. It's, I, it's, go ahead. I just want to say that I've yet to be convinced that the U.S., for example, healthcare system trumps a European one, for example. Mm-hmm. However, I, I come to acknowledge that the right, in quotes, particularly Americans, in their criticism of the universal coverage of European or Australian systems has problems. Everything ultimately mm-hmm. tends towards being sclerotic. Right. You know, bureaucracy takes nothing. over, people are taxed too much. Well, that's the whole philosophy is nothing's perfect, right? Exactly. Uh, and, and it's the people who come along and want to make a perfect world. And this comes down to our philosophy, Tom. You know, I'm, I'm sure you're, I know you're aware of it, uh, philosophy of, um, and it's kind of similar to stuff that Peterson has said, uh, that life <clears throat> has suffering. Uh, there is uh, unavoidable suffering in life, uh, and you have to reconcile yourself to that. If you start off the premise that uh, I should not be suffering, well, then you're in for a in for a, a troubled life or a painful life. You have to accept it as uh, at some point in your life as the, as the status quo, basically, as a, as, a, as a fundamental part of life. But I won't allow uh, the generally American or also British conservative, for example, argument that if someone is dying on the street, well, that's life. Life no. has to teach him suffering. No. No. no, he should be in a hospital. Yeah, because there's, there's well, there's, there's just inherent suffering and then, as Peterson said, and then there's needless, uh, unnecessary suffering. And unnecessary suffering should be fought against uh, across the board, but always with the proviso that you cannot wipe it out. And it's, it's the problem is these people who, who want to, like talk about racism, you know, we're anti-racist. And yeah, you should fight against racism. It's it's not good. But people who come along and want to either legislate or or shame away racism across society when it's when it's when it's a part of human nature, and you're going to what shame people? Uh, you're going to you're going to attack people, uh, and and in some way or other coerce them to stop being stop having the opinions that they have. Uh, that's a recipe for disaster, for social disaster, obviously. You know. So here we're always interested in. Uh, in in what's good for society, accepting society and understanding society and human beings as they are and where they're at, and not giving them too much credit, not assuming that human human beings are so evolved that they should be able to beyond should be able to be beyond all of this by this point. And anybody who isn't is a Neanderthal, and you may as well like push them off a cliff or something. You know that's a recipe for social chaos, obviously. You know, and that's what we're seeing in the U.S. in particular. With this kind of like you know most recently with it after Trump with the the South for the whites versus the whoever everybody the, the you know the left versus the right whatever um 
so yeah, it's 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 very dangerous. So um, we we don't think that it's about your philosophy, like I'm saying, and it's if you understand that philosophy in your philosophy that uh, life isn't about uh, human human endeavor isn't to create uh, a perfect society uh, where what where there's no suffering, nobody has ever has to go hungry, nobody ever gets called a bad name, no one ever there's no racism against anybody. I mean that from your from our philosophical point of view, that's not what uh, human experience uh, on, on Earth is for it's for for learning, and people learn through very often, or at least as often as not, they learn through adversity, uh, through painful experiences. Um, so to actually remove all of that, all of the bad things, quote unquote, from society, you're actually removing uh, one of the fundamental reasons, or the fundamental reason why, uh, or the fundamental purpose of, of, of of life, human life on Earth, which is to learn uh, through adversity. <clears throat> and the more you learn, <clears throat> the less adversity you can have. But you can't take away the materials that provide that learning opportunity, uh, that learning experience. So yeah, that's why you know, uh, that's why we maybe come across as a bit, <clears throat> you know, people aren't quite sure. And most recently, like we have, you know, Jason uh, is. Uh, uh, write some articles on that, and he provides a certain got, perspective on it. Huh? Got quite a response. Hmm. Yeah, and 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 you know, I say to people who say, "What are you doing? What's that doing with this person? What is he writing about? Why is he saying this stuff? What do you have? What do you have this person on your payroll for? You know, you're not on our payroll for a start. <coughs> but secondly, he's uh, he, he's there because if he if he provokes that a reaction in that one person, in that one person who read that article of his. If he provokes that reaction, well, really, there's opportunity there for you to think about something. If he provokes such a strong reaction from you that you want him like banned, you want to, well, you want to put him in prison, give him 20 years in the clink, you know, for what he said, you might have something to look at there in terms of because there shouldn't be too many things that that provoke you to say that. You know, you should you should be understanding and not understanding, but you should be able to accept and, and look at and perceive all opinions and then and then more or less calmly give your give your judgment on it. No? You um, might be attached. It, you might be attached to a belief. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. You know, and that's a service to people. You know, uh, that's why I see it. Uh, if if the, the more it provokes people, because there's not much point in preaching to the choir all the time. You know, um, and I think uh, the more we, more people we have who can can present things in a, in, a, in a way that might jerk some change here and here and there, then that's that, that's only a good thing. As long as it's you know it's a it's a reasonable perspective and it's not pathological in any way. Um, then it's all all the good, you know. We want to continue to question our beliefs. Mm. Uh, all right, absolutely. You should always be questioning them. Yeah, and how are you going to question them if you don't have people to come along who, who provide information that that force you to think in, in a different way? It doesn't mean you have to accept that uh, the way that they ask you to think, but it's it's usually useful to think about that and say, hmm, weigh it up, and then you know you learn more about yourself and your own your own assumptions and your own beliefs. But you know, Tom, one of the biggest things that, that I've kind of taken away from this last year of ideological madness has been just how determined certain interests are uh, in creating divisiveness among people uh, and how mm-hmm. kind of uh, how thought through and premeditated and supported and financed uh, all of that is. And we, we're seeing it absolutely across the board. And... Um, uh, that, that's why it's so important to look at all of it and uh, and kind of determine, you know, what its virtues are and and 
what its uh, fallacies are. I mean, you look at Antifa, it's the, you know, it's the social justice warrior equivalent of ISIS in the United States. Uh, You know, black hoods and all. Um, And uh, it's, it's meant to create divisiveness among people. And um, I think this is a a phenomenon that, um, that we're just seeing more and more of. Uh, we've seen it in immigration. We've seen it in um, uh, in, in politics. We've seen it in um, in all kinds of spheres. Uh, so that that's a big that's a biggie. I think it's it's to recognize that kind of um, thread uh, in so many of these stories. That this is a uh, this is a kind of a manufactured a lot of it um, by intelligence agencies as well. I mean, we've we've read so much about. Um, uh, controlled opposition. Uh, it, it makes your, you know, we, I can tell you, there are still articles that, that, uh, we, uh, publish on SOD that make my head spin, uh, where I'm, I'm re-realizing, um, the, the kind of man behind the curtain in so many ways. And, uh, sometimes it feels like it's for the first time or it's in a new way, a new novel way that I, I've just didn't consider. Um, so uh, in that sense, it's a it's a really valuable tool. I, I don't think uh, mm. I don't think it's possible to ever get to the bottom of it, but uh, we're certainly farther along uh, in many respects we were. Than, than a lot of than than where we were, and perhaps and and certainly a lot of other places. What do you think, Tom? I think that's a nice summation. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, anything else? You got anything? Just, more just, just bad. Just, just you know, have a, a nice Christmas and New Year. Okay. You too. Tom. You too. You Thanks too. for the show. Right. No problem. Take care. Take care. Okay. Bye. Take care, Tom. Bye. All right, let's go to the last one. Stormrider. Well, we've uh, we're having some problems connecting with Stormrider. Uh, Stormrider, if you're listening, um, we're you're still in the stacking in the checking volume phase. So I think there might be a problem, um, maybe with the microphone that you selected. So you have to make sure that you choose the the microphone that you want to use from the little list that comes up when it asks to connect. So um, that might be the problem there. I don't know for sure. So maybe try reconnecting um, and see if you can find you know what microphone you're using and make sure it's listed there. Um, and yeah, we'll we'll just see if, if Stormwriter try connects again. But until then. Mm-hmm. What else happened? Yeah. What else happened? Uh, Vegas. Ah, oh, Vegas. Yeah, jeez. That good. was my worst month, October. Um, my birthday is on the last day of September, and we discovered that one of our doggies was badly injured that day, and that was horrible. And then the next day was the referendum from Catalonia. We knew that was coming, so we're looking out for that. And that's when all the beatings start. I mean, that's just like, the region right by us and it was pretty uh, full on, you know, mass operation to crack heads and beat down. That was kind of scary. And then breaking news as we go to bed, there's been a massive shooting in Las Vegas and spent some good couple of weeks looking at that event in some detail. It was so... At one point, point I thought Neil was going to uh, get sucked into Google... Google, uh, Google Street View, you know, 
Mm-hmm. I, I would go over his computer one time and I'd say, Where, where's Neil? And then I'd look at his computer and it would be a Google Street View of outside the Mandalay Bay. <clears throat> and then I'd see this face in there <laughs> going, help me. I got sucked in. I looked too long. <laughs> I was I was morbidly fascinated by it, I'm afraid. Um, it was such a brutal, it was a next level. Like, I mean... We, you thought they wouldn't do any worse than Sandy Hook, you know, mm. which was a school full of kids and just shoot them up. But this was like another level. I, I think it's not so much in terms of just the sheer numbers of people killed, but the, the way it was done, where it was done in such wide open mm-hmm. public view. And then the cover up. I mean, they just shut up about it after a few non-answers and contradictory answers and then nothing. Mm-hmm. This is Las Vegas, you know, the most camera-covered city on Earth, the most high-tech on Earth, probably, given Casino City. I mean, it, it just, it's just like you just pull back the curtain temporarily, massacre a bunch of people, close the curtain. Hmm. And uh, it's just, I mean, we talked about it in a couple of devoted shows, so I won't yap around, but that, that kind of thing has an effect on people. You know, especially where you do it and then and then you flee. I mean, literally flee the city. Mm. God knows how many people they had doing it. Um, but also in an information sense. So obviously it draws a lot of media attention initially because it's so big. And then whoosh, a week later, it's gone. Mm-hmm. That's, when, that's when Weinstein was doxxed effectively and then followed the whole Me Too and Me Too became the news for October. And it had this weird effect on me. I think it was a really depressing month. Um, I think it's just, yeah. Well, it, it was depressing, Neil. I mean, these people were effectively corralled. Uh, you know, there was that bit of the story about um, the, the police telling people who were trying to flee the scene that they couldn't exit uh, from, from where they were. They were locked, yeah. Were. Yeah. Uh, you know, you have to go down that way. Ridiculous. Uh, and, um, you know, you had a lot of individual stories of, of people who, who noticed people getting killed just around them and, uh, or having to run for miles, uh, out of breath because they felt that they were being pursued. I mean, this was a, this was a horror show, uh, um, of, of the worst order. So, uh, to read some of these details and to try and imagine what it was like, uh, for the for the people involved directly, uh, and to know how many people were killed in it, uh, it it was just one of the worst stories. You're right that we've that we've had to look at this year. Uh, I'm looking, but I, I just wanted yeah. to add, um, you know, and and once it really did start to get questioned uh, by sites like like Sot and 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 many others, um, you know, you had. Uh, you had articles on Yahoo News about look at all the conspiracy theories regarding the the Las Vegas massacre, uh, and of course they they list uh, a lot of the most kind of implausible and ridiculous ones, um, but they went into uh, kind of spin uh, spin doctoring drive to get people to not question, uh, and the nice result of that is that you had people coming out and saying no. Uh, these are reasonable questions. Uh, why haven't we seen the videotape yet? Why haven't we seen pictures of, of various things? And um, 
And so there again is, is the reaction among people who are actually thinking on things uh, and, and getting to know what the program is uh, mm. and learning to recognize it uh, for, for what it is. Um, so, yeah, I don't yeah, know. Look, looking back on it now, it's, I mean, we still haven't come up with any, any other explanation as to what the point of it was. Uh, other than what we had at the time, and it fits with the kind of point of, of previous similar shootings, is that, um, including terror attacks, it falls into the same category as you know jihadi terror attacks, and it's um, it's to create a sense of insecurity among the general population. Um, and when people feel insecure, they are so these people who carry these things do these things, uh, so they believe they believe that. Producing insecurity in the population will make them uh, more compliant and more and more likely to look to authority uh, for security. Um, you know, they don't, they don't become it retards any development towards kind of independent or sovereign kind of um, a sovereign outlook on life. You know, they want people people locked down, and those kind of terror attacks are a blunt, <clears throat> like we've said previously, they are they're like a blunt force instrument to the public public mind, you know, at least that's what uh, we, we assume because <laughs> what other reason is there, you know? Yeah, so no chance, no no movement with uh, Storm Rider. No, uh, Storm Rider's connected again. The thing is, uh, I'll just uh, tell a little technical stuff, so if Storm Rider's listening, you might be able to figure something out. Um, so we're getting a connection fine with you, Stormrider. Um, it's just that, or, or you're connecting, and um, you've chosen your microphone, and then it's asking for you to check your volume. So this is the part where you, you know, speak test into the microphone, and that should then make the connection go live, but you're stuck there. So that means that the sound from your mic isn't, or, you know, the sound isn't getting into your mic into the computer somehow. Maybe the mic is turned off, or maybe um, you haven't selected the right mic um, from the option list, maybe the volume is turned down too much, but for whatever re for, for whatever reason, we're not getting the signal from your microphone. Oh, there he is. We got him. Yes. Stormrider, hello. <coughs> hello, can you hello. hear us? Yes, can you hear me? Yes, I'm yes. going to turn you up a bit. Oh. Okay. Okay. Hey, guys, just, ch just checking in. <laughs> hey, guys. Hi. <laughs> Sorry about that. An explosion. <coughs> oh. <laughs> Are you still there? A little, a little bit of a maybe a, a problem with the jack on. Yeah, my. Okay, there. Yeah, yeah, don't don't move. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, I'm hanging. <laughs> yeah. Where where are you calling from, somewhere? Hey, Republic of Macedonia. Ah, Scorpion. super nice. Super nice, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what's going on? Well, we have <laughs> pollution. Hello. Hello. Yeah, we hear you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry about this problem, but <laughs> I'm working to fix this. But <laughs> it's, okay. it's working okay. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's working. working now. Yeah, yeah, it's working. I'm hanging like <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> so, well, what do you guys, have to say, Storm Rider? Do you have a question or a say, comment? What? Yeah, I have some comments, but <laughs> right now, 
first I I have to to fix my headphones. So okay. maybe 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 uh, next. Hello. 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 Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> Okay, guys, thank you. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Yeah. Um, Thanks very, very <laughs> yeah. Maybe next time. Yeah, maybe next time. Maybe okay. next time. Ma- bye. Okay. Bye. Merry bye. Christmas. Bye. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you all. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> well, that, was the, that was the most interesting question <laughs> yeah, we've had yet. Do I you thought, want to take this? Yeah, well, yeah, Joe, maybe you could do this. That's that's a that's a difficult question. <laughs> I, I think I think he said that there was some. Uh, I was going to say we have pollution. No, I heard pollution. Yeah, yeah. we have pollution. Well, pollution is a big issue. It is. Is it? Yes, it is. But we're not going to get into that right now. Um, yeah, maybe the only other thing we we want to mention this year was uh, there were some pretty pretty serious, as usual, as as it was the case in, uh, during with recent years uh, environmentally. Uh, stuff is going on, uh, continuing to to rock and roll. Um, there were some flooding, seemed to be pretty serious uh, issue this year. Um, there were major floods in Peru uh, on at least two occasions, kind of a month apart. It killed a lot of people. And the, the videos, if you look back, uh, I think it was March actually, um, I think it was March uh, flooding in Peru, the first one at least. Uh, you look back at the March uh, Earth Changes uh, summary, the SAT summary that we that we do every month, uh, flooding, and that was absolutely crazy. You know, um, the amount of amount of water that fell. And they're starting to call um, what used to be what they used to refer to as rain rainfall. Uh, they're now calling atmospheric phenomenons <coughs> because. Um, that's that seems to be the only way they can they can really account for uh, the kind of stuff that happens where massive amounts of rainfall fall in a very very short period of time. It's not just rainfall. It's, just, it's not like it rained last night. There was some kind of atmospheric phenomenon that we don't really have a name proper name for yet. Uber rainfall uh, or something, but uh, that's the term they're using. And uh, so flooding happened. I mean, it's just. I mean, it's pretty much every month somewhere there were massive amounts of. Uh, Massive amounts of rainfall, and all over the world, really, um, from Asia to the U.S. Uh, and there was a lot of volcanic activity, earthquakes popping off all over the place throughout the throughout the entire year. A couple of major ones in Mexico City. Right, that was incredible. Oh, sorry, I meant to say volcanoes, but earthquakes, yes. Right, volcanoes going off all over the place, but earthquakes, yes, major earthquakes and and, and the the weird one and. Was what was on the anniversary of one in 1985, right? Yeah, 86, I think. I mean, <laughs> what are the odds, you know? Yeah. Uh, and it was the first time since then that you had major, pretty, pretty major destruction. A lot of buildings falling down. The week before, there had been another one, smaller, and a little bit of damage hit Mexico City. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Andres, one of our editors, says that um, on the a week later, when the big one hit. On the anniversary of the last big one in the eighties, there had been a um, they'd had a drill that morning, right, in Mexico City, simulating another big one. Because it was the anniversary of the one. I, I think it was tied deliberately, consciously, yeah. and right. then an actual one hit, and it was much closer to the city. And it, oh, it's insane! People are in the in towers and stuff with their cameras. I mean, this is the era of smartphone cameras, so everyone's mm-hmm. capturing 
is smoke and dust rising from all over the place. Across the city, yeah. I think a few hundred people were killed. Mm-hmm. Um, um, the thing that struck me was oh, there, there's a pattern of swinging, you know, from one extreme to the next. <laughs> Until last winter, which went into this year, California had been in its worst drought ever. Ever, ever. Ever, ever. Uh, unprecedented, five-year-long, yada, yada. Reservoirs, dry, empty, water table collapsed. Just a catastrophe. Last, late last year and into this year, they had record rainfall that filled every single reservoir and spilled some of them over. Right, but caught, and that was that the, the dam, what do you call it? The, the um, Oroville Dam. Oroville Dam. That broke. Right, which apparently still hasn't, they still haven't put up the money to fix that. Uh, yet there was a report recently that they still have, they're still working on that basically on, on getting the money for it. Um, but the problem with the drought is, and this is what causes the flooding as well, is that you have this drought in California, but then you know, at the same time you have a, a lot of snowfall on the, on the, on the mountains. So bizarrely, it's certain, well, certain, it's basically based on area, but you still have a lot of snowfall in the mountains while the drought is ongoing. And then in the spring, in March, April, whatever, whenever that snowfall melts, melts it floods down onto parched landscapes and causes flooding because it just runs off the top. That was a big factor, but they also had record rainfalls. Yeah, um, after on top of at it, the, yeah. at the same time. Um, but but only periodic, like short downbursts. I think it was a consistent, it was a kind of a stream of, of the Pineapple Express phenomenon, which happened in California a couple of years ago, right. but apparently didn't break their drought then, but it happened again over uh, winter this year. Right, because right now they're having problems with But now they're having the opposite problem, the wildfire season that's two months too long. Right, but because maybe because of another of more drought conditions, no? No rainfall? Uh, dry ground? No, uh, the reservoirs are still full. Um, the one idea floated was that, well, because the drought ended, there was an explosion in growth, but then they were hit with a hot summer, right? and that's caused everything to burn again. Yeah, it could be that, but the thing about California is it's had, in the last 10 years, like seven of the worst ever wildfire seasons. Mm-hmm. And this one currently could yet be the worst. It, it is the record for the number of people killed, the number of houses destroyed, mm-hmm. and it may yet be the number one year for the, the total surface area acreage burned. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's just, to me, that's stunning that it comes after the, the previous extreme mm-hmm. of record rains right. in the same year. Yeah. And it's probably a story that can be repeated on different scales in some smaller mm-hmm. localities, but also whole countries all over the world. It was interesting that, uh, was it Santa Santa Barbara, where all the Richies live? Right now, they, they're... Um, in the they, past couple of they weeks. They fled in the last week, but they're still under threat. But there's a lot of houses there. And I mean, I saw pictures, I was looking at pictures of it, and uh, they were shown in, in this upscale. I think it's Santa Barbara. Is that right? You, yes, yeah. Santa Barbara Square, Oprah and... Uh, Those people, Ellen right. DeGeneres. Uh, yes. Uh, DeGeneres. So people, um <laughs> those people, uh, there's pictures of firefighters and, and the caption under the picture from APA, whatever it was, and firefighters uh, uh, help uh, help you know people in an upscale part of you know Santa Barbara, whatever, and a nice big house and stuff. And what the firefighters are doing, and it was presented as firefighters fighting these fires, but what they're actually doing was carrying uh, expensive paintings and other items out of these people's houses, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's it's an example of you know. Uh, 
really were, were, were possessions or, or kind of put above, because obviously those firefighters, the fires are raging and it could be off actually trying to put fire, well, fires out in other places, but they're spending hours and hours actually going into these people, not just about putting the fires, they're going in to take out the valuable possessions. I discovered today why that's going on. There's a two-tier system in the US, even when it comes to emergency services. People like Oprah and Ellen pay an extra insurance to AIG or similar. They have private insurance. And AIG then arranges for private, private hired firefighters uh-huh. to target their homes first, build um, dams, uh, preventative fires, mm. and if they fail, go in and um, or try and stay there and keep the place doused so it'll survive. Mm. And last resort, go in and actually remove the items. Right. So that, that's what's going on. <laughs> it happened uh, two weeks ago in Bel Air, and now it's happening in Santa Bel Air. That Bel Air was what I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's uh, yeah, that's interesting. You know uh, that you can pay, but you know some people argue that that's fair enough. You know, um, uh, but you have to look at specific situations, I suppose. But if you can if you can afford to pay for your own personal team of firefighters to 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 keep your house and only your house, uh, you know, uh, standing well. Others burn around them, and fair enough, I suppose you know. In one, in one version, um, yeah. Well, one more uh, and exactly, story. and there's the other the other element is uh, just on the weather thing is the the quietness of the sun. As someone just posted, uh, Frank just posted. Were you going to talk about that, Alan? <laughs> yeah, I was just going to mention that. Go ahead. And, and and well, go real, ahead. Real quickly, uh, the quietness of the sun and its uh, effect on the on the very uh, minute but. Um, but impactful slowdown of the Earth's rotation has uh, scientists thinking that 2018 is going to mean a, a, a kind of a big spike in earthquakes on the planet, um, to, to put it in a nutshell. Uh, the, the point about that being that more solar, or not solar, but uh, space, cosmic radiation reaches the surface of the planet because the sun is so quiet, because the sun's solar flares and things like that actually provide a uh, kind of, they bolster the Earth's um, magnetic shield, let's say, magnetic field. Mm-hmm. Not field, but uh, what do you call it? I can't remember the name. <clears throat> so it, it, it contributes to it, you know, and when the sun, that's the idea, was when the sun is not, not firing off flares, that the, that the, the what the, what's the term? Magnetic is it magnetic shield? Magnetosphere, I think it is, uh, is diminished basically, which means that we're more open to space, for want of a better word, and, and open to what they call. I mean, it's, it's pretty clear they don't really know an awful lot about it, which is why I'm struggling to actually explain it, because you can't find any really uh, sensible uh, explanation other than cosmic rays hitting the planet as a result of the magnetos- magnetosphere being weakened by uh, the fact that there's no solar flares. Um, how that actually would contribute to volcanoes or maybe even wildfires? Well, no, the, the seismic geological activity is connected because of the slowdown. Oh, the slowdown, sorry, yes. The Which slowdown. we've been saying for years, we could only ever speculate, but this year, the first ever studies published and reported on in scientific press say, yes, there has been a slowdown, a minute one, in, in, in the rotation of the planet. Mm. But that, and they acknowledge though, that that is enough to, to be behind because between the lines that they're they're admitting that yes there's more volcanic activity there's more seismic activity 
But that never made the headline. They're coming straight in with the explanation for why it happened because they mm. don't want to freak people out, right? Right. Yeah. Well, fun times. So 2017, uh, 2018 rather, looking ahead. 2017, what's our score? Is it a pick or a pan? <laughs> Three pan, 2017? It's a poke. It's a poke. It's a Facebook poke. Um, yeah, 2017 was pretty pretty wild, pretty weird. Um, 2018, what's going to happen? More of the same? Even weirder? Worse? I've learned not to make predictions. Ah, come on, so, uh Put your sticking neck out there again. She had it chopped off already, so you're not going to lose this time. Someone's going to fall. I think Merkel might fall. At which point there's elections in Germany and then a surprise, possibly, political level. But um, I think the UK is more unstable, actually. Something is going to happen in the UK. It might be as mundane as more elections and Corbyn, which would... The thing is, that that would be a mundane, not one-size-fit-all solution because, of course, that would have you know its own problems. It's the left party. They've got lefty stuff riddled to their, their belief system, so it's going to be a palliative rather than a, an actual fix because the UK has so many problems facing it right now um, that it's, it's hard to see which one will go first. But I think, yeah, there could be a, an, another issue with the UK vis-a-vis Europe or internally in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, or not, that just keeps simmering on and something else in Europe comes comes to, comes to a head. Because we had some small ones and some big ones this year, and I think we'll see the same next year. It's on a small scale, maybe another Catalonia, maybe another small country falling to the so-called far right, like yep. Austria did this year. Um, because each one adds to the scales and increases paranoia in certain circles, like in Washington, and mm-hmm. makes them lash out and do crazy things. So it's an escalation of yeah, more it's not, of the same. I yeah, suppose. well, an escalation of it, so not more of the same at the same level, but in, uh, getting more intense. As it goes on, because this thing, you know, things are kind of like, you know, this year we talked about unveiling. It's kind of like opening up, you know. You have um, more earthquakes. We'll probably have more earthquakes. Uh, more, certainly volcanoes are probably going to keep going strongly. As, as If this kind of solar minimum persists, and it could persist, um, then, you know, winter so far hasn't been too bad, but... Been a bit chilly, I suppose, but um, we're not we're not looking at an ice age just yet. And an ice age, obviously, is is a term that you know is ill-defined and what it actually means. But uh, yeah, as as I think things polit- politically are going to continue to go uh, go a bit pear-shaped. Things are going to be more and more chaotic in in in, in politics. Uh, I don't see any reason why we've got three more years of Trump, so I don't see any more reason why there won't be more. Uh, attacks and that, or the continuing attacks on Trump will will keep going and um, uh, which will keep the the chaos taking over uh, in the US and also in Europe as you were saying with the uh, more uh, kind of separatist ideology and separatist movements springing up um, and and the Earth seems to mirror that chaos on a human level uh, so I think there will be a new ISIS too it'll be called something else. That could happen. Because remember, as much as it's been defeated in Syria and Iraq, 
which is a kind of a, a plus on the scales for 2017, we also had a pretty chronic eruption of it in the Philippines. We more or less dealt with, but they could go in and take over a whole city. Right. Uh, apparently at a, at a drop of a hat, because it was only because Duterte had gone to Moscow to discuss rearming the Philippines military with Chinese and Russian weapons. And suddenly, while he was there, he had to fly back home. So they can, they still have the capability to shift and move stuff around and, and cause, quote-unquote, border, border skirmishes or worse. Mm-hmm. Pretty much, I wouldn't say anywhere. They're, they're cut off, obviously, in certain places in the Middle East, but it's still a big open world, and um, they still have resources. They've built up all this you know, jihadi manpower over the last decade. So watch out for a reappearing somewhere else, maybe in a different form. Mm-hmm. Yeah. East China. I'd like to see them try and do China. That would be an interesting, because you, you provoke a serious reaction, you know? Yeah. I think they're hamstrung with China, though, in the sense that they're, they can't do anything, but they can't, they have to accept the fact that they have to court China, you know, they have to play nice with China. That's the bread basket <laughs> in terms of plastic bread basket of the world. Um, you know, there's so much China has so much, uh, has invested so much everywhere in the world, and in the U.S. You know, it's uh, you can't do anything about it. You know, they're just they're just afraid. They figure they can contain China if you can contain Russia, because you don't want at the very least you don't want those two t- teaming up with each other. You know, and it's just a stopgap. But like we were saying earlier on, it's it's just putting off the inevitable, and we have to steel ourselves to just uh, you know live through this ridiculous game that they're playing of, of refusing to accept reality. Uh, the intrusion of reality on their on their games. So um, yeah. Well, that may be a good place to. Yeah, let me just let me just try something out here. Well, is that working? It, no, it is. Oh, it is. It's not loud enough though. That's as loud as it gets. It's not playing through. That's Harrison's attempt to uh, wish you all a Merry Christmas with a badly played We Wish You a Merry Christmas. (laughs) You can sing it instead, yeah. There you go. Sing a Christmas Christmas carol, Bars is. Who's uh, Alan's a good singer? Merry Christmas, not you, Harrison. We wish you Alan, I know you can sing better than that. Okay, um, I don't, I don't know any by heart. You want to get something going, and I'll kind of uh, <laughs> fake it. <laughs> well, why don't we, why don't we do that one? Why don't we do dreaming the... of a white Christmas? And dreaming of a new ice age. <laughs> like all the ones we used to know. Like all the ones we never got before. Where is the ice age? We're still waiting. Where I don't think it's ever going to come. Anyway. America smothered. I know. Be nice. <laughs> and we're done. Don't be, don't be wishing bad things and on the peoples no. of the world. Not at all. All right. All right. 
I think we'll leave it there for this week, folks. Or, well, for this year, actually. Thanks for listening. Thanks to our callers. Hope you have a good holiday season, whatever you get up to. And we'll be back in the new year. Be safe, everyone. Thanks See for you listening. next year, everyone. Have a good rest. We'll be here. See you soon.